Laura. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. And I am Scott Corelli. Today, we are concluding our miniseries on the X-Men franchise with the culmination of a 19-year and 13-film project. Whether you like it or not, it's 2019's Dark Phoenix. And we have a guest Joining us to talk about space missions, street fights, and unnamed alien species is Best Pictures host, Mark Watlington. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So, we're, we're here at the end, but I think it's important to, to ask, how do you feel about just the X-Men in general as uh, pop culture characters? Sure. Yeah. yeah, so X-Men, I think, was my first introduction to superheroes in general, which mm. I think has been kind of a, a a thing with a lot of the guests here so far. Um, mm. I actually didn't watch a ton of the cartoons growing up. It was mostly the original trilogy of, of movies that got me into them. Oh. They, I, I caught up on them. I feel like it was on a road trip. I, like, binged them on, like, one of those van TVs on DVD. Um, and, sure. and really, like, immediately fell in love with them. They were one of the first DVDs I owned. You know, when First Class came out, I was all about First Class and then have only been, you know, these are future past, happy with that, and then s- slowly let down from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. What's, who's your favorite mutant? Uh, my favorite mutant, it's, it's tough. I really, I really love Wolverine, of course. You know, any fan of the movies is going to love Hugh Jackman, really define the character course but i also love the you know the elliot page character you know kitty pride yeah the the bobbies a lot of the i really loved a lot of the first class characters i think you know that would probably rank as my favorite of these movies and and all of those young characters that got obliterated from the franchise within seconds of the next movie but (laughs) i call it out in this one (laughs) they they do which is which is kind of nice i suppose (laughs) Yeah, okay, so I guess we're kind of going to dive right into Dark Phoenix. So, you know, as listeners will have known at this point, I had not seen Dark Phoenix prior to having to watch it to, to, to record this episode. I missed it in theaters because I heard such terrible things. And I, uh, you know, having just watched it, I don't think it's as bad as its reputation, which is like that of a garbage fire. I think that there are... Off the top of my head, I can think of three X-Men movies that are worse than this one. And that's just off the top of my head. Yeah. If I, we'll, we'll be ranking them in our in our in-between episode, the whole the whole franchise. But like this is not like bottom tier X-Men movies not, to me. Not at all. I had the same experience. I missed it in theaters after really like Apocalypse felt like an insult to me and in all mm-hmm. movies. But so I skipped this one. 
Although there were several weekends where I was like, I have nothing to do and I could see Dark Phoenix and just chose not to. Yep, same. But watching it last night and then I also rewatched it this morning, it's surprisingly inoffensive. Yeah. Just a little bit of nothing at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but much better than Apocalypse and miles ahead of like X-Men Origins. Yeah. So I, I can't be too mad about it. It feels like... It, and and I'm sure Nick is going to go into the into the you know the 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 everything with this movie. The heritage and wife force. Yes, but from my perspective, having watched it, it felt like a movie that because like the budget for this movie is like two hundred million dollars. Like it's it's an insane number, and it doesn't. I don't see any of that money on no. screen outside of paychecks. In in terms of paychecks, I, it's hard to believe that. This cast beyond, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, maybe Nicholas Holt and maybe Sophie Turner, but no one else is really taking yeah. that much of a pay, you know, that much you of a, think of so, a paycheck but, here. But yeah, so like, I don't know, I don't know where they spent the money because I don't think that the movie looks expensive. I think it looks pretty cheap. I think they do the best they can with what I thought was not a big budget. And then I saw the budget and I was like, oh, the, the what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it just didn't make any sense to me. It's like eight Deadpools. It feels like, <laughs> yeah, it feels like Simon Kinberg wanted to make a very small character study and then was forced to make it a big grand scale movie that he didn't know how to do and didn't really fit in the story he wanted to tell. And so you get this sort of movie that isn't a quiet character movie, but also isn't a big bombastic movie. It's just neither of those things, which means it's kind of nothing, as Mark said. And, yeah. and that is unfortunate, I think. And, you know, after watching this this morning, as I was like doing some chores and on my laptop, I tossed on The Last Stand and just realized that there's so much more personality in that you know, admittedly train wreck of a movie. Yeah. But I, I feel like all of the actors kind of bring nothing to this and it feels like a contractual obligation for most of them. Yeah. I would say the only one who feels like they really bring it is, is honestly Sophie Turner, who I think does a really good job with again, a character that no one seems to know how to write because, yeah. you know, Jean Grey is like describe Jean Grey without describing the color of her hair or her powers. Uh, <laughs> you know she um, dies and comes back yeah that right seems to be, yeah you know her yeah. plot line yeah it's it's hard to describe a character that doesn't exist um nick what you are the only one of us who saw this movie in theaters what were your feelings uh, then and what are your feelings now yeah, i was there yeah i was there opening weekend <laughs> saturday night i believe it was with a mm -hmm. friend so i took someone as well wow so that's two tickets in the bank <laughs> <laughs> was there anyone else in the in the theater with you? You know, I'm without hyperbole. There may not have been. Yeah, um, it, it, I, it was pretty empty. Maybe this we was went a massive flop. This was a 100 million dollar loss, maybe more for yeah. Fox when all said and done. Spoilers. And yeah, you know, I think the biggest difference between this movie and Last Stand, and this is something I kind of realized while listening to you, is that you know, for all of its flaws, Last Stand is a culmination of two movies. Right. It, it's a flawed one, but it does at times feel like a culmination. Mm -hmm. And you coast by on the emotion of seeing like Magneto one more time and, mm -hmm. and you know, and like the gang and, you know, whereas this movie has no support built under it. 
there there was nothing leading up to this. Yeah. You know, when I think about WandaVision, e- even for as flawed and limited as Wanda Maximoff's screen time has been in the movies, there was enough built there to where when you get to something like WandaVision, you want to spend like three hours, four hours with this character. Mm-hmm. And this ensemble, especially Gene, had no such support built. They had mm-hmm. 2016's X-Men Apocalypse, mm-hmm. uh, well, which the did other them no thing favors. about WandaVision is that it has, like, a setting and a take. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's a, you know, it's a sitcom. It's set with all of these, you know, fun 30-minute sets, and it's got a sitcom plot for the first couple episodes. And this just, like, I guess it's set in the 90s, which I don't think is ever really mentioned. Or, you know, even uh, emphasized as, as much as even, you know, Apocalypse is, is 80s to some extent. These are Future Past is very 70s. But this just feels it could be set modern day. And I just I, I would believe you if you told me it was set in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like con- I was like watching it, like kind of convinced that the movie wanted you to forget that it's technically supposed to be 1995. 95? Uh, or maybe it's not like 98. It's it's like mid early 90s. I think I, I, I thought it was like 90, like like oh, okay. 90 flat. You I could be if right. If it okay, I, I thought you knew something I didn't know. Um, no, no, I, no. Yeah, if it, yeah, because I was gonna say if it's 95 and these kids went from 83 to 90, that's this is it's been 12 years since Apocalypse. <laughs> that would like <laughs> that would be bonkers. You know, you know, you can tell they don't they're not they don't want you to be thinking about it is Quicksilver is not wearing like a pixie shirt or yeah. a, like a like Yeah, a, there's like no Nirvana in this at all. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah, the only music that we get is in is in the opening scene. Oh, the right. only like pop music, only needle drops. Which I is think. a flashback. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. They definitely bury the 90s thing. There's like a there's a hint of it with like hairstyles some hairstyles, but like not enough. Like Jean's hair is a little kind of, I don't know, like just coming out of the 80s kind of hair. They're not having fun with it or reveling in it right. or take, the way that they had been, even in Apocalypse Days of Future Past of, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. beasts and, wearing bell bottoms and stuff. Right, right. You mentioned that there's no needle drops, but there is like a musical sequence with Dazzler who's singing like a very like EDM modern pop song yeah we'll, yeah we'll get to it doesn't feel like it should be like robin or you know some like janet jackson 90s song yeah um, that would be cool not the you know the the vague edm song that she's singing ellie golding-esque i guess right like yeah. very of, of of the era that we're in right now yes right yeah right right, right. It, it should sound like a 90s club song that would have been cool yeah, yeah, we'll get into Dazzler for sure. So, yeah, I, I guess if we want to get into behind the scenes stuff, or if we want yeah. to we, we just kick yeah. it off one more time. Because this is the one that finally got rid of the original sin of the X-Men movies, Brian Singer. Yes. Well, yeah. So, you know, in the wake of X-Men Apocalypse, a tribunal was held of sorts. Mm. It, it was decided within the, I guess, leadership being like Lauren Shuler Donner, who we'll get to, and Simon Kinberg and whatnot that Brian Singer was would have no part of the X-Men series going forward. Okay. As as he should. Other than that Fox network show. Sure. Um <laughs> which when did that get off the air? I think it lasted two seasons and I think I think it was I want to say it was shortly after Apocalypse that it premiered. Okay. And then lasted so two years. This was an X-Men TV show? The Gifted. Yeah, The Gifted, the X-Men oh, TV I, show. I honestly think I heard about that once or twice and never mm-hmm. even considered checking it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, in May of 2016, a Hollywood Reporter article was released reporting uh, the wear and tear quote of the X-Men film franchise. Deadpool 2 had just lost its director. X-Men Apocalypse was a shit show that lost like hundreds of millions of dollars for the studio. And they were wondering where they were going to go from here. Simon Kinberg had always had his regrets about the way the Dark Phoenix story was handled. Uh, in The Last Stand, he thought the character was sidelined. And he personally felt some desire to return to the Dark Phoenix saga, saying that it was like his favorite arc of the comics, like a lot of people say, you know. In February of 2017, there was... Uh, it, it, it was uh, there was a Collider exclusive article that a movie called X Men Supernova, and this was all rumors, was filming that June, and indeed it was, but it, it wouldn't be called X Men Supernova. Mm-hmm. Um, so Simon Kinberg actually had a lot of support inside the studio to direct this movie. He had been a part of the franchise since Last Stand, writing right. and producing, and as we talked about in our Apocalypse episode, sometimes even stepping in to direct. Uh, scenes where Brian Singer would just fly off to Los Angeles and text them, hey, guys, like, just direct without me, peace emoji, you know? Yeah. He, he had particularly gained the uh, the support and affection of the cast. He Him being, like, kind of like a, a grounding force on these sometimes chaotic sets, they didn't forget that. And uh, it, uh, Jennifer Lawrence actually played some part in convincing Simon and Kinberg to take the directing job that was being offered him. She was over it. She was like, I don't... She like told him, this was uh, some Entertainment Weekly article that came out in, 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 in uh, preparation of the movie's release, saying that she was like, I was out. I don't like doing the makeup. <laughs> I don't know what's being put in my body. I don't know what I'm breathing. I don't feel safe doing it. Um, and I'm not 21 anymore. I'm about to be 30. Like, I'm not as... Like, I'm starting to worry about that kind of stuff. Mm. And Simon Kenberg was like, well, if you want me to direct... If, if you think I should direct this, I'm only going to do it if you're in it. And she was like, okay. Her deal, Fassbender's deal, Holt's deal, and um, McAvoy's deal had all expired. Mm-hmm. They, they, had, they had completed their obligation of a trilogy. But they came back because they trusted Simon Kinberg. They trusted his passion for these characters, his experience uh, in the franchise itself. In, in the trades that released in the wake of uh, the announcement of him directing this, that was kind of the weather state of like yeah he's never directed a movie before but like he's helped make almost all of them isn't he the guy like let's give him the benefit of the doubt and he uh, you know apparently did partially direct apocalypse it seems like he had some experience behind the camera and days of future past and days of future past wow yeah and and, and in addition to people like newton thomas spiegel the dp hutch parker producer thomas Ott- or john ottman uh, composer and editor, all kinds of people. All kinds of people would step in to do Brian Singer's job. Um, <laughs> and they didn't get paid for it, though, which is always fun. Yeah. I assume that with renewed contracts for these actors, they got a pay raise, which might account for the you, heightened budget. You know, um, that that was kind of the thing that was puzzling me listening to both of you, is I completely agree with you that I don't see a lot of the budget on the screen. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing, there was no official thing that leaked or you know leaked thing or published article about them getting a significant pay raise that doesn't say that it didn't happen mm-hmm. it yeah. just wasn't announced or made a big deal of the way it sometimes is when it's like robert downey jr's making like you know the gross of a small country right <laughs> and kinberg had very specific um ideas 
or and desires with this Dark Phoenix movie. Like Scott said, he wanted this to be character centric. In an interview, he described as going vertical as opposed to horizontal. Like mm. instead of painting a wide swath and telling some kind of epic disaster story like last time, uh, going deeper and just focusing on a handful of characters. I think that shows in the script. It definitely feels like a Jean Grey movie. It starts with her. It ends with her. She's the villain and the hero to some extent. Mm-hmm. It's also not, I mean, at least what I see on the Wikipedia article, it's not X-Men Dark Phoenix. It's just Dark Phoenix. Right. Uh, which kind of tells you it's not a team movie as much as mm-hmm. a, a solo movie. Although I think that X-Men, especially like X-Men movies where they start at the school, should should function as a team movie. Uh, that's kind of what I like about the X-Men movies is, is the team functions there. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Scott and I had been talking about the X-Men being in their getting weird with it era. Mm-hmm. And Simon Kingberg didn't want Dark Phoenix to be a movie that stopped that party. He wanted to be part of it. He wanted this to be bold and unlike any other X-Men movie that had been made. He said in an interview that his favorite part of the Dark Knight trilogy was the first 30 minutes of Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Because it was all character and all drama. And that's what he wanted Dark Phoenix to be. He had seen Logan. He had seen what had been pulled off with Logan and was convinced that this movie could do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so he set off to make this like dark, raw. I'm, I'm using words that were used in a lot of these interviews by different filmmakers, like, you know, character drama. And, and, and that surprised me. And he, he, so a lot of the jettisoning of the uh, Shi'ar Empire, Lalandra, the spaceships and the battles on the moon that wasn't jettisoned by Fox. It was jettisoned by Kinberg because it didn't fit his vision of making a grounded character driven story about Jean Grey, which is to him what this movie was. Please. So then why are they in it? Like, why are the, are the, the Shi'ar, the unnamed Shi'ar, the unnamed, well, they're not, they're not Lalandra. Shi'ar. Like, why are they in the movie? If well, you know. I have I have I have parcels of a reason for that. Okay. Uh, the original reason is that in the concept stage, in the writing slash concept art stage, because you know, as the movie's being written, there's artisans that are being communicated with so they can do things like concept art and build and stuff like that. Of course. So this the aliens were originally going to be the Hellfire Club. Oh. There there was concept art of them looking endearingly like the versions of the Hellfire Club that appear in the Dark Phoenix comic. Okay. By Claremont and Cassidy. All of our old friends, Mutton Chops, McGee, <laughs> uh, Seamus O'Fireplace, uh-huh. uh, even Emma Frost. Yeah. And then for reasons I couldn't get to the bottom of, unfortunately, um, the Hellfire Club were replaced by Skrulls. What? Skrulls. Shape-shifting aliens. Uh, for Do they have the rights to Skrulls? They... Maybe they didn't, because then the scrolls were changed to the Dabari Empire, which are named only in ADR subtitles. Right. There's one line in Dark Phoenix yeah. where Jessica Chastain says, so this is all that remains of the Jabari Empire, or the Dabari and it's, Empire. And it's in like a like a subtitle in like a foreign language, like the, the Dabari language, I guess. Yeah, they're speaking like, yeah, the fictional language. That's also the only time that her character is ever named. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, there were rumors that she had to shoot down all the time that she was playing Lalandra, uh, who's kind of like the principal female character of Dark Phoenix mm-hmm. that isn't Jean Grey. Right. So she's not playing Lalandra. She is not playing Lalandra. She is playing Vuk. Vuk. Or, or Vuk. 
Great. V-U-K. I like Why Vuk. in the world would Jessica Chastain agree to play this part? I, I like Please. calling her Vuck because it's it's like, what the Vuck is she doing here? Yeah. You know, it kind of <laughs> yes. fits. Good show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jessica Chastain had been offered numerous comic book projects since her career started taking off during that legendary run in 2011 when she was in like nine movies in two weeks. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. But she always shot them down because she was always disappointed by the, the female representation and the female roles. I guess she was somehow, God damn it! <laughs> you know, she was uh, enamored, I guess, by the concept of this being Jean Grey's story and oh. following Jean as she tries to struggle with her power and what to do with it, because that was like what Simon Kinberg was all about. Because, yeah, I agree with both of you. This is like a nothing role. Yeah. She is just blank faced in this monotone. But yeah, that was kind of why she took the role. So God. the movie... So she got won over by the ex-women line, I assume? <laughs> she saw that in the script and signed on? Ooh, yeah, she was like, call my agent. <laughs> I don't Simon need to read Kimber, Simon Kimber just sent her that script page and circled <laughs> the line. Highlighted that line. Uh, yeah. And then it wrote, huh? 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 <laughs> <laughs> so the movie wrapped in October of 2017, but even while they were filming, so the filmmaking process was like a constant push and pull of how to justify the fantastical nature of this story. Like I said, the, the, the Shi'ar Empire and the spaceships and the battles on the moon and the Hellfire Club with Kinberg, I don't want to seem disrespectful, but chasing this vibe that was set with Logan and the Dark Knight of making things grounded and wanting to take Gene's story seriously. So the visual effects supervisor of the movie, I have his name right here, Greg Butler, was interviewed and was talking about the push and pull of like, how fiery do we make Jean's effects? What's too crazy? Originally, there was going to be a climactic battle where she turns into a full like flying bird monster and shoots down and destroys a bunch of scroll ships in outer space. That sounds I, cool. I can't believe they were the, their scrolls. That's nuts. I mean, not not to just talk about what could have been, but I I. In college, I like got into a huge like comic reading phase. Read read all of the important like X Men X Men series, Dark Phoenix, yeah, uh, yeah. Dates of Future Past, all that. I love when X Men go to space and talk mm-hmm. to the Shi'ar and you know interact with the Skrulls, which is not a, a huge thing for the X Men is the Skrulls, but I do love them in space. And I think that when I read the plot synopsis of this, like after an accident in space, I was like, oh, finally they get to like go and do some space shit. But it's really 15 minutes of this movie, if even that, is spent in space. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, I agree. And it's like, at what point, if you're bleeding out aspects of the story, what – I guess I was left asking myself, what did Simon Kinberg love about the Phoenix saga mm-hmm. from the comic book? Because I say this with all the love and all the respect for Chris Claremont and the people that make comics and that comic. But the Phoenix saga is not the bell jar. Mm-hmm. It, it's a big, melodramatic, pulpy adventure that, yes, poses these really cool questions about when, you know, when Gene's like, do I want to be a god? Do I want to be a human? Yeah. You know, who am I? You know, like, I, I, I love when pulp stuff does that, but it's also a comic book and fun. And it's and so- also really long and <laughs> yeah. convoluted. Yes. Yes. It's convoluted in the best of ways, where it's literally pulling everything that you know about X Men at this time. Yeah, they're pulling a, it all in, and it's all sort of you know working yeah. with it with itself, and feels like this culmination of his run up to that point, Chris Claremont's run, which had been going for like five or six or seven years at that point. Yeah. So 
this is like a big deal when this happens, but you can't just adapt it as the second movie with these characters and these being the characters introduced in X-Men Apocalypse. It doesn't make any sense. It yes, really do doesn't. It and, you know, all of that stuff you're talking about, like, do I want to be a god or do I want to be human, isn't really addressed in this. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think she ever wants her powers in this, and she never seems like she wants them. It seems like what Kinberg likes about this story and the only thing that's in both of the the, the Phoenix movies that he wrote mm-hmm. is the aspect of Xavier hiding her powers from her. Yeah, yeah. Um, which seems interesting, but doesn't necessarily need to be a Phoenix story. No, very true. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with that, and I agree. I think with what Scott said, which is what we said at the very beginning, which is the movie doesn't have any foundation built under it. Yeah, right. It, this movie can't have the impact that the 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 Phoenix Saga book had when readers were holding it in their hands in the eighties because it wasn't. It didn't feel like the culmination or build up or death of anything that mattered. Like, and even, even in Last Stand, there are two movies before that with characters, mm-hmm. two movies that people loved, with characters that people loved, and, you know, a love triangle that had been established. And this one, there's like a romance that has no drama to it. It's just a regular romance that was established in a movie people hated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I will say, I will give them credit where credit is due. They do have a lot more chemistry in this movie than they did in sure. Apocalypse. Of course. Uh, <laughs> Well, sure, yeah, and I couldn't. It's a low bar, the, uh, and, and, and we'll get into it when we start when we start doing our walkthrough. But yeah, uh, I, but I was gonna say, I was also gonna say, like even the X Men animated series when they adapted this, yeah, they adapted it in multiple parts. I think it was five parts, and then there was a break where they go to the Savage Land for a couple episodes, and then it's the Dark Phoenix Saga. So it's the Phoenix Saga. A Savage Land, like, two-parter, and then the Dark Phoenix Saga. So even they knew not to just try to get it all in one fell swoop, you know? Yeah, they still split it up and spread it out, yeah. Mm -hmm. Speaking of time, the movie wrapped in October of 2017. But even by then, like I said, reshoots were on the horizon. So Mm -hmm. that wasn't an issue. Like Scott said in our New Mutants episode, reshoots are pretty normal with movies of this size. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately... Because this movie had actors like Jennifer Lawrence, Nicholas Holt, Michael Fassbender, and James McAvoy, their schedules are pretty full, and their years are scheduled by the day. Mm -hmm. So they weren't available to do those reshoots until October of 2018. Wow. So then the movie, the reshoots happened. So there was rumors going around that, uh, remember that scene I mentioned a few minutes ago where the phoenix turns into the the phoenix bird and attacks a bunch of scroll ships in outer space yeah Mm -hmm. a lot of people thought that that was scrapped because of captain marvel oh but that move the dark phoenix wasn't supposed to come out after dark after captain marvel Mm -hmm. it was originally going to come out in november of 2018 Mm -hmm. and then it was going to come out in february of 2019 and there was even a trailer remember that Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, Unfortunately. But, but the reason it came out in the summer of 2019 was because of our old friend, we've mentioned him a couple times on the Franchiseography podcast, James Cameron. Oh. Uh, James Cameron had a movie coming out for Fox uh, called Battle Angel Alita. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Alita he, Battle Angel. Alita Battle Angel. Thank you so much. Yeah. Sorry. I just don't respect Alita around me. Of they, course. They, they swap. The comic is named one thing and the oh, movie is it really? named the other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. They swap it back and forth. I don't, yeah, under, no. I don't know why they did that, but that no, is yeah. definitely a thing. Apology accepted. <laughs> uh, so that movie was originally going to come out in the winter of 2018. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. but Cameron didn't want his movie to compete with things like Aquaman, Bumblebee, Mary Poppins Returns, all roaring successes. And so he was like, I want that time slot, push something out of the time slot. And they were like, okay, well, I guess we can move this X-Men movie to June. I'm, and- I'm really bummed out about James Cameron calling it his movie when it's Robert Rodriguez's movie. That yeah, really bums shame. me out. Sure. Uh, I, I, I was putting words in his mouth. I don't know if he said that. Yeah, okay. It definitely okay. Got, <laughs> got pushed like it was his movie. And I don't know if you guys have seen Alita Battle Angel, but the oh, world building feel, feel, feels a little bit more James Cameron than it does Rob Rod. Yeah. Although I do love Rob Rod, and you can feel him in all of the action of that movie. Yeah, that's I love sure. that movie. It's a good movie. Fox certainly treated it like it was James Cameron's movie mm-hmm. and quickly uprooted its X-Men movie. Brian Singer, Emma Watts, they all begged Fox not to move it. They said, this is not a summer movie. It, this is a lot of talking and a lot of crying in the rain. And this is, a, this is kind of a winter fall movie. And they're like, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> it's coming out. And now, so now it is coming out after Avengers Endgame and after Captain oh, Marvel. That hurts. Oh. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, which, which did the movie no favors. Uh, and it's also it's also now coming out right post the news that Disney is buying Fox. Yes. Yeah. Um, which kind of goes into the story that I kind of want to just as we land and before we go into the walkthrough, all kinds of crazy stuff started happening. Lauren Schumer Donner tweeted then deleted uh, upon the release of X Men Dark Phoenix. Save your condolences. I had zero to do with Phoenix, Apocalypse, or New Mutants. Trades letter, later released stories kind of relaying that news, saying that she even had little to do with Deadpool or Deadpool 2 or Logan and was only credited because of generous contract terms. And her fissure with the franchise happened somewhere around creative differences during the making of Days of Future Past. Oh. Which I didn't know. Was she on the side of, like, too soon? I don't know. I don't yeah. even know at what point what room she was in or what decisions she took opinion of or action on, you know? Interesting. interesting. But the merger did have serious consequences for this movie, most of which involved marketing. Uh, In an article published in March of 2019 by Vanity Fair, it spoke of uh, long-term marketing team employees for Fox being laid off, and they were replaced by high-end consultants temporarily. And so there would be meetings where they would just be just talking about this X-Men Dark Phoenix movie coming out. And they're like, wait, why is this being made? What is this? Well, let's just put a trailer out. An insider that was quoted anonymously said they were, quote, nowhere near where we should be. It's frightening. The movie's coming out in the summer. Most people are not going to have the job when the movie opens. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, that's kind of the environment that Dark Phoenix was released upon. The ending on the train was the the result of reshoots. Originally, there was going to be uh, an ending that involved just Charles and Nicholas Holt. Or no, no, not even uh, Scott and Gene. Mm. But then Kinberg was in the post-production process or the filmmaking process. And then the merger happened. And he realized this was going to be the last Fox X-Men movie and said, you know what? The last stand, so to if, speak. If you will. <laughs> and it says, you know what? If this is the last stand, then... <laughs> These X-Men need to be united. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and X-Men new- 2000. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Just that. go backwards. Yeah. And so a new ending was constructed around them all teaming up at the mm-hmm. end and being a, a unit one last time, which is think how we get that train ending, uh, which I'm sure wasn't cheap yeah. and didn't help with the movie's budget. So that's about all that I got. Okay. Jennifer Lawrence said that it was her best time making this. She says that it was 
all she says normally it was fun amidst the chaos but this time it was all fun and no chaos no oh, that's is it good. because she got killed off before the chaos happened i'm sure that didn't hurt i'm, but yeah, I'm sure but, that was a huge part of it <laughs> yeah but like this was a fairly it's 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 unfortunate that this was such a disaster after the fact because it seemed like the making of it was pretty smooth sailing for an x-men movie yeah, and I was reading reviews of it just now because, you know, it has a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is Rough. super harsh, I feel yeah. like. I don't, I don't know that it deserves that. And I was reading the reviews and, like, most of the reviews are just like, I'm tired of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's not the movie's fault. That's your problem. <laughs> and, and it was a lot of that. It was like a lot of the critics are just like, I'm just tired of this franchise. And it's like, okay, well, cool. I, I do think that if you're going to have a franchise that lasts 20 years, it should grow every movie. And it should yeah. feel new and feel like they're pushing boundaries. Which is why, you know, no one's tired after Endgame because it like really compounded and built on everything that was there. Yeah. And this one, like feels about as exciting of an X-Men movie as, like, X2, which is a, a great movie. And I'm not saying this movie is even as good as X2, but it doesn't feel like it's building on 20 years of history, which I yeah. think I think mm. is maybe where they're coming from by saying, I'm tired of this. Show me something new. But, yeah, that was the majority of the reviews, was basically a bunch of critics who were tired of having to watch X-Men movies. And that's too bad, <laughs> it, I think. It, it's too bad, but to some extent, it the acting in this movie feels like it's from a bunch of actors who were tired of being in X-Men movies. The marketing was by a bunch of people who were tired of marketing X-Men movies and were about to be fired. Everything about this movie feels kind of done with with little energy. I yeah. Think. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm happy that the set wasn't chaotic, but maybe, you know, Simon Kinberg you know, being so structured and used to being a producer and making sure that there is a very peaceful set to the point of like maybe everyone was just sort of bored because it was just so easy to make this movie that like there was no challenge anymore. And, you know, that's not saying that we need like a chaotic element like Brian Singer on set. I mean, like we saw Apocalypse. It doesn't do that movie any favors. But I do think that there is a sense of like so much comfort on set that... Yeah. You know, you're not like nobody's scared. Like no one feels like, oh, this movie might not work, so I really gotta bring my A game. So like everybody just kinda brings their B game and you get a movie that's just kinda fine. It's fine. Yeah. You know, it just kinda yeah. you know, it exists and it's entertaining and has some some set pieces that are enjoyable, but yeah, nothing ever really grabs you and, and brings you into it. Right. Like Simon Kinberg knows how to keep the train rolling and how to keep it rolling on time, but he doesn't know how to bring any passion out of his actors. Yeah. And I think that that's what the movie needed. And I, you know, I imagine that's part of just being a first first time director is not knowing how to work with actors, but knowing how to work with like the set and the the mm-hmm. crew and the production standpoint, but not necessarily sure. knowing how to get performances out of actors. For sure. And that's and that's also a huge problem that I do have with the movie is that he is directing the movie because as much as everyone had his back and supported him directing this movie, nobody's first movie should cost two hundred million dollars. Oh god, no. no. No, no, absolutely not. So it is what it is. Okay, so let's talk about Dark Phoenix, which opens with the last time we're going to see the Fox logo in front of an X-Men movie. And uh, that X stays yep. behind, but this time it's a, it's a, it's a Phoenix. Oh, nice. Yeah, I did it. 
That's, that's good. It made me it made me happy. It made me smile. Yeah, it did. It did me too. So we have this Jean uh, VO narration, and she's talking about evolution and about how are we the people that we're always meant to be, or can we evolve into something else? It's very it's very sweaty narration. I feel like of like trying to bring the themes together, but I do. I think it's a little. I think it's a little sweaty. I think that oh, might be yeah. the word of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I did appreciate the the kind of symbolic or whatever you I don't know of like you know these movies famously open with opening narration by Charles Xavier. This one show opens with opening narration by Jean Grey. Yeah, I do like that, and it's further proof again why this isn't called X Men Dark Phoenix. It's just called Dark Phoenix because this is a Jean Grey movie, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So we open with a flashback to 1975 and Jean Grey is her powers are manifesting for the first time as she's arguing with her parents about which radio station to play. And she keeps unknowingly switching the radio station with her telekinesis and causes her mother to fall asleep at the wheel and uh, wreck the car in one of the most brutal car wrecks I think I've ever seen in a movie. At the start of the movie, I was like, wow, Kinberg, way to go. Like, this is a... This is a brutal yeah. car wreck. I was really shocked by that. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great practical stunt. Yeah, yeah, I believe absolutely. And I like the I like the shot of her unconsciously blocking all of the the glass from hitting her. Mm-hmm. So it's a good looking sequence. Watching the sequence, I was like, oh, this movie is not a train wreck yet, which you can't always say of a of a train wreck movie. Sometimes it's it's bad off right off the bat. Right, the train wreck comes later. Quite literally, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so her mom is dead. Her father is presumed dead, but we don't see him, which was something I saw coming a mile away. Um, Because as soon as I was like, oh, we're seeing her mother dead. We're not seeing her father. Something is going to come from that, I'm sure. So then we meet, we get Charles meeting Jean. So we get a flashback to 70s Charles Xavier, just fresh off of Days of Future Past. New lease on life. New lease on life, picking up new students. Meets Gene and uses yeah. uses this metaphor with the pen about how the pen is just a tool, but you could turn it into a weapon. It's the exact same metaphor that gun nuts use about guns and gun <laughs> violence. And I was watching this and I was like, really, Kinberg, buddy? Like, I, I get like in this context, it's nice, you know, and he's saying like, yeah. you're, you're just like this pen. You can do beautiful things. You could also do really scary things, but you don't have to do those scary things. But it's literally the same argument that gun nuts have about like not taking away their guns. You know, I, I should also say at this point, because that, you know, it kind of made everything fall into place just now yeah. is this movie is written and directed by Simon Kinberg. Yeah, this could very well be, if I'm not mistaken, the only X-Men film that we've talked about this whole summer with a single writer and a single director credit. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Is it the only one with a single writer in general? Maybe even that. I, I did in my research. I didn't hear. I didn't read of any rewrites or any other people coming on to do punch ups and stuff. And so, I just think you know Simon Kinberg has done a lot of work and put a lot of work into this franchise and series. Yeah. But I don't know if this plays to his strengths. Yeah, I don't know if he was the guy to write or direct a, a deep probing character drama about yeah. Jean Grey. Right. And it, you get, you know, like like dialogue like this and sweaty stuff like this, where a lot of scenes have that kind of feel when you I think they're supposed to be this, you know, like that scene with Logan and Laura in the truck. Right. How, how that feels yeah. more more real than anything we've ever seen in, a, in an X-Men movie before. Right. Right. Yeah, I think. 
This is the only one with a single writer. Granted, the Deadpool movies are only written by a, a team, a, a team, a partnership, okay. an ampersand. Mm-hmm. So that does count as a single I, writer. I would count that. Yeah. 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 Um, but so other than Deadpool, I think this is the only one. So, yeah. So he basically he takes Jean to the school, says his, her parents are dead. She's <laughs> like, I'm broken. I can't be here. I'm going to wreck shit. Oh, hell yeah, you are. Uh, yeah. And, and Xavier, much like uh, the guy in Holes, is like, I can fix that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he says that he can He can fix what she breaks. She doesn't need fixing. Right, right. right, right Except right. that he does. Um, in he fact, does fix her. Yeah, he does in fact fi- try to fix her. <laughs> does a little tinkering. Her. Yeah, just just a little. So then we get we open on a on a space shuttle thing and NASA and there's some chaos going on with the space mission and then uh, the president picks up his X phone and calls Xavier and we get he's not exaggerating. Uh, yeah, we're not. It's literally a phone with an X on it. And the president picks it up and calls it like he's the mayor in Batman 66, Colin Batman. Yeah, so the the X-Men in this movie have become something they've never been in the movies. Superheroes. I, I don't know even in the comics if this is ever – are they ever like celebrities? Occasionally, but it never lasts long. Okay. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. They, they Everyone loves the X-Men. In the wake of Apocalypse, they've become, like Scott said, literally superheroes. Mm-hmm. Beloved in the way that like Thor and Iron Man and Cap are beloved in the MCU. Yeah. Uh, a little girl has a mystique action figure at some point. Yeah. They know all their names. Professor X is on the cover of magazines and has yeah. a phone for the president. Yeah. Oh, a character says, my my daughter used to be a fan of you later on in the movie, yeah. which right, I feel like right. is just an and, unnecessary thing to say. And I'm not against this, but my first kind of mark on this movie so is that none of this was laid out in Apocalypse. If there had no, been a scene in Apocalypse with like, who are those guys? Are they the X-Men? You know? Yeah. So it's it's a very like this whole part of the franchise, this whole like prequel Era. series, starting with first class, ending here. The ellipses between movies are like a lot. Decades, yeah. Where it's just like, yeah, so we we uh we did this and uh, yada yada yada. We're superheroes now and everyone loves us. And you're like, well, whoa, whoa, wait, I want to know more about that. Yada, yada, yada. Eric runs a country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of that. And, you know, I know that a big part of it is like, well, a lot of time has passed. We got to we got to show that a lot of time has passed. And so we're going to we're going to do well, it this way. But- what I took from it is more that this is what got them the the fandom. Although, you know, how did the X-Phone get in the building in the first place? But I, I figured that, like, this this act of bravery saving the space shuttle crew is what got them the the heroics. It, it gets Xavier a, Oh, no, a there's people there's people waiting for them already after the moon mission with, like, Gene written on a, on a poster board. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they, no, they're, they're fans. Like, everybody loves the X-Men because, like, Xavier is on the cover of Time magazine. You know, it's a it's a thing. They are celebrities. Can I ask a question about the space shuttle real quick? Because I uh, Days of Future Past and um, First Class both had like real world counterparts, like, you know, taking things from real life. For a second, I thought this was the Challenger disaster until yeah. I Googled it. And it's like five years too too late for that. Challenger right. was in 86. Also, right. Bill Clinton isn't the president. So we've like fully That's left true. like pretending to or like, you know, doing historical parallel stuff. Right, right. Yeah, neither yeah, neither Bush senior nor Bill Clinton is the president. So we've moved on. Though, 
you know, to be fair, it's not a real president in uh, in the old movies either. In X two, yeah, meet the president. That's so. fair. That was a, that was it, a Matthew it, Vaughn fixation. I guess you, you do have yeah. Nixon, which is I guess could have been part of Vaughn's script for Days of Future Past. I yeah. believe that but, it was. We don't get JFK, right? We get that, like voiceover, or I think oh, it was okay. even like real yeah. like, newsreel footage. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So anyway, so they're going. The X Men are going on a space mission. As Quicksilver says, we do space missions now? Cool. Which is great. a trailer line if I've ever heard one. Yeah. I'm always like, whenever lines like that, like you said, trailer lines, I'm always like, how many times did Evan Peters have to do that? Yeah. It, it feels very like kids cartoon kind of line. Like you would hear that in like Secret Life of Pets or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only it would have been performed much more livelier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beast and Mystique are waiting for them. They kind of have become the de facto leaders of this current lineup mm-hmm. of the team. I like Mystique's vibe a lot in this. Like her sort of take charge leadership vibe. It sort of feels like an evolution from the end of Apocalypse, that scene in the danger room with mm-hmm. their new costumes that we never see again. She's found a way to merge her, the person that she became... Mm-hmm. out there and the person that she was at the school yeah this kind of the the you know that kind of tough hardened survivor that she had to become yeah with this like mentor to gene and yeah yeah it's i really been, like it. it maybe it was the result of, of shotgunning these every week scott but like yeah I, I found myself really appreciating how mature just how 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 much growing she's done in this movie compared to who she was in first class yeah so they're going on a space mission they're gonna fly <laughs> up they're gonna save these astronauts who are uh, spinning out of control in space, in mm-hmm. the space shuttle. And they fly up there. And there's, like, this really great thing where where they're like, Cyclops, we need you to, to, put, to push the thing in the opposite direction. And he's, like, on it. And it goes down into, like, a, a thing underneath the ship and <laughs> sticks his eyes into, like, a... Torpedo kind of style. Yeah, yeah torpedo yeah. style. Submarine. And 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 that's the lasers on the on the, on the it thing. it is in my top ten coolest things that have happened in these movies. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty cool for him to have like sights for his for his eyes. Yeah, um, it. I only caught this morning, and I might have just seen it wrong. It looked like he didn't shoot it in the opposite direction, but still slowed it down somehow. But I, I might have just been seeing it wrong. It's the first thing that feels like, oh, yeah, this is a group and a team that has done this a bunch of times over the years and they have it down. Yeah. Yeah. I do have questions about Storm's control of space weather. Air? Air? Elements? Yeah, I don't... Wind? I I figured, you know, the wind was taking... I don't know. I didn't ask so many questions. Weather is all about pressure and air moving and... You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not fighting it too much. It's really sweaty. You got to find a way to work storm in there somehow. I, I guess. guess oh, I guess I always associate storm as of from the earth, like almost like this goddess character, right? So I don't know if this is how it works because she's still a mutant. It's up in her genes. She's not like call, she's not a druid. She's not calling to a, a divine force, right? But I, but I was like, this is weird. Like, what is is she using the ship stuff? Yeah, because if well, she's able to control air escaping the ship. Then that means her power is not weather related. It's something else. The base of her of her power is not weather. Right. Weather like, is a side effect of another power. Well, like it her seems like she power. can she can control lightning, <clears throat> rain, okay, yeah. and wind, right? Because she can make tornadoes. Yes. Yeah, she can I make figure... any weather because she can make it cold. She can yeah. make it hot. Yeah. 
I, I think that the wind portion of that is what's helping her here, but I still don't fully understand it. It seems more of a Jean Grey <laughs> kind of like put a bubble around him kind of thing. Yeah, because yeah. I always saw is what Jean is doing is controlling – like if she was on Mars or a planet, she can control that planet's wind and rain and water. Like space doesn't have weather. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't have air. But the space <laughs> shuttle has the space shuttle has air. Well, I it's don't raining know. in it's, space again. It's, I, I always feel like Storm is not a great choice to take on this trip, and Mystique doesn't really have any powers that are helpful here either. But I guess she's just a leader. I, so I, yeah. think, I think they just take the whole team out every time, no matter what. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're kind of short staffed at this point. They don't have a ton of backups. Yeah, um, I don't know what happened to the kids that they were teaching in the 80s, but they're not X-Men, and now they, they just have kids again. Yeah, the why school. was there a 10-year gap in new students? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe mutants are like locusts. Yeah. Like they only they only <laughs> show up every like seventeen years. And listeners, born. if you if you if you think we're being too, we're not the ones who made it be ten years apart every single time. Yeah. I yeah. I think arguably my biggest disappointment in all of this is I never found a satisfying answer as to why these had to take place in a different decade every time. Yeah. But it anyway. also kind of limits the number of prequels you can do. Absolutely. Because if you does. wanted to do another one, it's like, do you set it in, in the 2000s? Which I guess you could because it's an alternate 2000s. Right. But still, uh, it's it's iffy. Yeah. It's very iffy. And the rest, of the, the rest of this, like, space mission, I mean, it's cool. I like it. You know, the reason that uh, 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 Cyclops has to slow the ship down with his, his concussive blasts is so that – Nightcrawler can see through the window so he can see where he's going. And then he, he takes Quicksilver over there and then they all gather up some some astronauts and come back and they find out that there's another one that was out trying to fix the problem. So Gene and Nightcrawler go to figure that out. And then in that process, that's when Gene gets hit by the cosmic force that we know is called the Phoenix Force. Although I guess in this version of the movie... It's not called the Phoenix Force until she evolves into it at the end of the movie. I, I, they don't really have a name for it. Yeah, it's just a cosmic force. But it does seem like she gets triggered when someone says the word Phoenix. So, I don't know. Oh, right. Yeah. I should say yeah. here, Simon Kinberg found the appearance of the Phoenix Force in Apocalypse, quote, troubling. And uh, remarked upon how it didn't really make any sense because... The Phoenix Force doesn't live inside Gene. It comes from outer space. Right. And my thought was of, like... Of course. Of course. The very real Phoenix Force. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everyone knows that. That everyone knows. Well, in, in The Last Stand, the Phoenix is the name of her alter ego. So sure. it does live within her. It's very... I mean, <laughs> Last Stand is a different reality than yeah. this. So I can ignore um, that. But. I, honestly, if you wanted to make this smaller and character-driven... Right. If you wanted to do that version of this story, then you just have the Phoenix Force come to Earth and get in her when she's young so that it has always been with her yeah. and is just now starting to, like, burst through after the events of Apocalypse, you know, eight years ago or whatever. The <laughs> sure. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it should be it should be noted that. uh Raven Mystique does not want to send Jean in, but Charles is like, "What's the big deal, dude? She could fly or something. Let her go." Raven didn't want to go up there in the first place. Yeah, Raven had reservations about the whole op. Yeah, Yeah. it was shit detail, Charles. She said, (laughs) but they make it back, and Jean appears Uh, to be fine. Yeah, and yeah, Mystique isn't into the whole superhero thing. She thinks it's lame. 
Yeah, the last of the first class is what Hank says. Of the two yes, of them. which is a pretty good scene. I like yeah. that scene. Yeah, and she's like, Hank, that's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gene's power levels are off the charts after getting a medical examination. Hank does uh, a lie. Yep. Gene and Cyclops, they sort of like have a scene where we go to Gene's room, which is like a huge apartment. Huge. I would have, I had a question for, for both of you because I, yeah. I, watching this scene. So, this is the scene where they're like, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to leave you. And they, they make out. Yeah. Had, were they even non platonic by the end of Apocalypse? No. I was going to ask you guys that because I have avoided rewatching Apocalypse for obvious reasons. I've, I've yeah. already forgotten it, but I'm pretty sure that they never even. Yeah, that it they, never gets non-platonic. No, they like touch hands. There, yes. There's like there's the vibes. Hints. Yeah, for so, sure. So we have the hints and the start of something, and then we just hopscotch over all the development and romance and why yeah. these, what these characters bring out of each other and why they need each other, right. and then we're straight into just lip service. Like, I need you, never leave me. We, you know, kiss, yeah. and it's. I like, thought you were calling the the kissing lip service, which is a funny thing. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, it doesn't feel earned. It doesn't feel like it's on top of anything. The The way that relationships can feel, like, if these had been movies that had been planned out and building upon each other for years and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely doesn't feel earned, but I will I, – I, again, I want to give them credit. They have a lot of chemistry. Like, it is – it feels real even if, like, we don't get yeah. the joy of, like, seeing them first, you know, Which get is ex- exactly what we were saying about the, the Brian Singer trilogy. Right. The first three movies. Right. Right, the the actors having to do all this legwork to make up for all this that work that hadn't been done in the movies. Exactly. I mean, that's like the curse of the Fox X Men franchise, you know. So anyway, Jessica Chastain gets possessed or something. Yeah, I was incredibly <laughs> confused by that scene until like twenty minutes after that scene took place. I understood it a little bit more, but I'm still kind of confused about why it's there. The knowing does knowing that they were supposed to be scrolls help at all. I thought there were scrolls when it first happened because oh, scrolls okay. are shapeshifters. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I was just confused about why scrolls are there. Yeah. Which I'm, does get explained a little bit. They've always been here, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's rough. And their yeah. powers are also ill defined and just boring yeah. powers. They're bulletproof. Yeah, they're, they're bulletproof. bulletproof. They you, can she, twist your body somehow. Yeah, she can turn into the T1 the T1000 for a second to like Stab a guy with her like finger or whatever. That's what it there. is. That's what it is. She's like a Terminator. This whole movie and yeah, like it's just David Chastain. Yeah, like an emotionless Terminator played by like a fantastic actress, like one of the greatest of her just, generation. It's just a heartbreaking waste of Jessica Chastain yeah. because she will probably not do this again, and that sucks. <laughs> she like, like made an exception to her like no superhero movie. Because because they're all bad roles for women to be in one of the worst roles ever written in an X-Men movie, yeah. which is though, saying something. Though, respect for her being like, I don't care that this is a bad role. I'm in it because Jean Grey has such a cool role in this. That's kind of... Sure. I, it, like, respect to her to be well, like, it doesn't matter that my role isn't good because her role is so good and I want to support that. That's kind of She cool. also might have signed on to a better role. Like, if she signed on to Lilandra... That's awesome. And then yeah. it just gets demoted to That's the thing is like when, when when we talk about when they talk about push and pull and when they talk about tone and and groundedness being debated, I'm like, does that mean that she was never Lalandra or like was 
was any of the cosmic stuff ever in and was that jettisoned over time right right it's it's interesting but yeah it's a thankless role of oscar isaacian proportions yes in any event yeah, indeed. And, and then have, have Jessica has Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac ever been in a movie together? They oh, have, yeah, they right? Have. They were yep. in a most yeah. violent year. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. So that's what they did to you like. Would, <laughs> you would think that he would have like called her after he would. Uh, well, like, she is in talks for this role. She like gives her done? friend Oscar a call. Like, hey, yeah. what do you think about playing a villain in one of these X Men movies? Go back. <laughs> just just sends her like the Steve Carell gift from the office of like the no no yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> He still can't look at a moving fan without thinking about being back inside of the suit. <laughs> well, hey, maybe if uh, Moon Knight gets a second season, maybe she'll play a role in Moon Knight or something. That's true. That maybe. could be cool. Anyway, Dazzler Secret Show in the yes. woods. Played by yeah. Halston Sage. Yeah. big uh, Scott's a big fan of her work in the Orville. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this was kind of like leaked Word of her getting cast kind of leaked before it happened. Dazzler has almost made her way into these movies a few times. There were rumors she was going to be played by Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift. Yeah. Um, and Dazzler does appear in the Dark Phoenix comics. I This kind of made me mad a little bit. I, I think this is a waste of Dazzler. A, it is. Daz, is she a student? I like to think that it's just like a, a mutant secret show. Like she just plays for mutants in the woods. Yeah, <laughs> like somebody DM'd her. Oh, no, it's the 90s. I don't know. Someone yeah. got a hold of her and was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I got Dazzler to come to the party. Yeah. It's like if churches showed up or Billie Eilish yeah. showed up at like at a graduation party. It's it's even more of a waste because the actress playing her would be a really good Dazzler. Mm-hmm. If given the chance to actually play Dazzler. Like have lines. And have lines and like, you know, like a character arc or something. Yeah. Like someone says the name Dazzler, maybe. Yeah, or or someone says the name Dazzler. Dazzler, they pointing. <laughs> Let's go to the Dazzler concert. <laughs> hey, you know the kids have the kids are calling have a new name for you, Dazzler. <laughs> In general, this movie is really bad about saying anyone's names except for Raven, Charles, yes. and Eric. Yeah, and Gene and Phoenix. But, uh, but D- Dazzler deserves like no, you get a band. To write a song and you and yes. like it's Dazzler. Like have fun with it. Do like, we know who yeah. made that song? Because it definitely felt like someone that was just like on Fox's record yeah. label. Yeah, I didn't look it up. We don't know. I it, it almost felt like a B side from the Gem and the Holograms uh, movie. <laughs> and I see everything. It just never got I, But yeah, like on in, in concept, I do really approve of like the X-Men kids having a like a rager in the off campus at night. Like that's really cool. But unfortunately, sure. it really highlighted how little time we've spent with any of these characters. You know, Nightcrawler yeah. and Storm are out like sharing a, a bottle of like whiskey together. And it's like, what? Who are you to each other? Because the last time we saw Storm, she was in Egypt being a horseman of the apocalypse. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, how did she get converted yeah. to the good side after like, that? What does she think about being an X-Man? Does she like being in America? Who's her best friend at school? We well, don't know. It happened, she got converted at the end of Apocalypse because Apocalypse hurt her hero, Mystique, and she was like, wait, am I a bad right, guy? Right, right, right. And then And then was like, oh, I don't want to be just like, with Apocalypse. Oh, it's just like, I want to be on the X-Men because um, Mystique is, she's my hero, X-Men are cool. Okay. Right. Yeah. So anyway, the kids call her Phoenix. <laughs> Jean Grey is getting turnt on, on mm-hmm. shots, which is, uh, which is pretty yay. cool. Uh, and then we get this great scene 
where this is the we're the last of the first class mystique being like I'm thinking about leaving and I'm just like oh great so you're saying she's two days from retirement <laughs> cool <Yeah>. awesome <laughs> really great movie <laughs> so so anyway you know Hank Mystique's I'm 54 years retirement. old it's time I start thinking about my I gotta hang up my badge and my gun. Yeah, yeah, that that should be noted that if this is 1990, then Charles, Charles, Mystique, and Eric are all 56 years old in this movie. And Hank. Hank is maybe a little bit younger, but yeah, they're all in their 40s or 50s. I've made peace with it. No, no, they're all in their 50s. Have to be. There's There's no way any of them are in their 40s. I think Hank could be a little bit younger. But not much younger. Uh, uh, um, how, I mean, I like, yeah, if he was 16 I mean, or 15 when he was working with Oliver Platt. Yeah. Yeah. He would have to be – Yeah, he had to have been really young. But they do uh, not look yeah. how old they're supposed to look. Yeah. And they also don't seem yeah. like they've been dating for 40 years. Well, they've really yeah. – well, okay. I guess – well, I don't even know if they've ever, like, been dating or, like, like this is my boyfriend Hank. They've definitely hooked sure. up a few times. I hope so. I hope like, so for Hank's part. I hope so like, they too. really because Raven's like on the team for like good by the end of Apocalypse, yeah. which is in the eighties. So that's like okay, ten right. ten years of like adventures and her like living at the mansion. So they've been like together in whatever capacity they're together for ten years now, with if, a thirty year history. Yeah, yeah I don't even like know that. if they're ever like yeah. like you said, like I said, like exclusive or whatever, or like if or or they don't like labels. Yeah, <laughs> or like you know, for example, like when when Raven dies and she's like, "I love Hank." I don't know if that was like the first the first time she ever said like, "I love right, you." Right, right. You know? L- listen, baby, Beast is not exclusive. Whoa, uh, hey, Beast. you cannot tie that man down. <laughs> Swinging Nicholas Holt. Is it considered polyamory if Mystique just looks different every time they hook up? Mm. Wouldn't that be funny? She's like, "Oh, you want to date other girls, huh?" And then just like, <laughs> just like keeps meeting him at bars as different people and hooking up with them. It's like a thing they do. Yeah, yeah. you know. And speaking of their age, I was thinking about like we're we're not going to get to him for a little while, but I do want to mm. mention Magneto real quick because I think that he looks old enough to pass. For for being in his fifties, especially nowadays, I mean, people in their Tom Cruise is like sixty one or something yeah. like that. But I think that what they should have done to like just do a full callback is just you see Magneto and he walks out and he's got like the white hair. Oh, don't yeah. don't add any like age makeup to him or anything. Just give him the white hair, like he like his hair went yeah. white early. Because Xavier has his head shaved in this movie. Yes. And he didn't in Days of Future Past. And like I said, I've wiped Apocalypse well, from my memory. Uh, he loses his hair in Apocalypse when Apocalypse okay. tries to possess his right. body. Yeah. Right. He actually wants nothing more than to grow his hair back, but he can't. It's impossible. Apocalypse zapped cursed. it out of his head yeah. um, forever. <laughs> Canon. What a movie. What yeah. a film. So, I so, take your hair, Charles. Uh, <laughs> so we learn that Xavier has erected walls in Gene's mind. This is a retread of the thing that he did in X3, where he was a real asshole about it in X3. <laughs> what? Uh, here, he's less an asshole about it and more of like, listen. Deluded. I, I, yeah, like I have my reasons for doing this. I think I'm doing this for the right reasons. The Xavier and the other one was just like, you shut the fuck up and stop talking to me, <laughs> asshole. You don't know anything. Well, um, well, he also gets like hardcore confronted about it in maybe the least like least kind way possible later on in this movie. Yes. Where Beast just shouts at him like, admit you were wrong. Well, yeah. 
he's not in the best mood for reasons. <laughs> That's that we'll very get no. Into. We'll get there. <laughs> he's 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 fixing to do some murdering. So we learn that Jean's father is actually alive, and that Charles was lying to her, hiding that information from her. From her, he own says mind. to protect her. Right. But- but Jennifer Lawrence is like, you're just protecting yourself, dude. Right, right. Now, in the original trilogy, I think that he, like, hid her tele um, telepathic powers and kept her telekinetic powers. Right. And he, right? And he hid but, the Phoenix identity yes, from her. Yeah. yeah. In this, she has both sets of powers. He just dampens them, I assume. Or does he hide the trauma of the crash? Yeah, I that's the it. only thing he's hiding from her. Is okay. The, is the, the, the crash trauma. It's not not as bad, in my opinion, but yeah. still bad. So Jessica Chastain meets up with a bunch of other aliens in a parking lot. Who knows yeah. where they're from? Yeah. They've been hiding out since the beginning. Yeah. Of course. The Skrulls have always been here. They've always yeah. been here. I mean, sorry, the D, DR? Dabari? Dabari, thank you. Dabari. I just said Shi'ar with a D. I'm sorry. Ah, Vuck. Good to see you. <laughs> Old friend. Long have we waited for you to come, Vuck. <laughs> so Jean goes back to her childhood home. Again, a retread from X3. Yeah. Simon Kinberg is like, okay, two things definitely have to happen in a Dark Phoenix movie. X- Xavier has to be blocking shit from her brain, and two, Jean has to go home. <laughs> and the movie has to open with her getting recruited as a child. Yeah. This, I just want to reiterate for the listeners at home, this was fully his idea. Yes, I know. Yeah. Like, no he was one, like, hey, no, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Except no, it was broken and I am was, trying to fix it. And also, that's the whole theme of this movie. Is I, that <laughs> things are broken and need to be fixed. <laughs> I, like, no, there was never an exec that pushed this down the pipeline and shoved it down. You yeah. know what I mean? So these similarities are like... All the more puzzling. Yeah. That. Well, at this point, well, yeah, I, I don't know. That... I don't know how many of the execs are left from X three. Mm, yeah. And may, and they probably never even saw the movie. And they're just yeah. Like, this checks well, out. This is... well, obviously, <laughs> yeah. he wrote that movie, so he knows what's in it. He's not going to just repeat himself. That would be <laughs> it, stupid. It honestly feels like he is bitter that they shoved the cure into X three and said, "Okay, I'm going to remake that movie, but without the cure storyline, just the the Phoenix storyline." Right. This is the Kinberg cut. Right. Yeah, th- this is released the Kenberg cut. Absolutely. Is um, this... It just so happens that the Cure storyline is the better part of <laughs> The Last Stand. Yeah, <laughs> this is, I, I think, the weirdest, I, it, you know, I, I, it is interesting now in retrospect, having watched this movie and, and, and thinking on it. Xavier is Kenberg, right? Like, metatextually. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. Go like, further. That's what I don't know that he realized that that's what he was doing, but that's what he's doing. It's just like everyone's the hubris that you would do something like this. And he was like, like so- whatever, I've got this shit on lockdown. It's fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Rather like like at never at no point that he was like, you know what? This is my first time. I should maybe have a co-writer. Yeah. Or maybe I shouldn't direct. But no, he was so like there was um a quote. Um, in that article, maybe that I referenced earlier, it was the same one that said, like, I could see in my head everything so clearly it would have killed me to have anyone else direct this. Mm-hmm. And I walked it. I was sitting down to watch this movie today, like really on this movie side, even more than I was in 2019. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, this was like his vision. This was actually like, well, maybe I'll appreciate it more a second time. This isn't quite the Franken movie by numbers that I thought that it was. Right. And then we get the scene with him and with Jean and her dad. And it has the same problem as the scene with young Professor X and young Gene, which is just very by the numbers dialogue. Yeah. Showing not 
or telling, not showing. Yeah. Just very first drafty, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like she's looking around the house and she notices there's a bunch of pictures of her mom, but none of her. And she doesn't like when she realizes it, we realize it too. I mean, it's very obvious there's no pictures of her. And then she's like, there's no pictures of me, you asshole. And they're like, like, you killed my world. (laughs) Yeah, you killed my world. Yeah. It's just, it's very rote, all of this. It's just very rote. There's there's just not a lot of twists and turns. All of the conflicts are exactly what you expect the conflicts to be. Right. Um, Like, word for word. Yeah. And then, like, Jean realizes that she kills her mom, but it's like, we already knew that. So, like, the movie's not telling us any new information. The better way to do this would be to, like, show the, the scene with the car at the beginning, but not her parents dying. Right. Mm. Just show the scene of the car, them getting freaked out and then cut to Charles bringing her to the school and this whole thing. And you don't realize that her parents are dead. And then when you're like, oh, he was lying to her. Her parents are alive. Oh, my God. Like that. Wow. I can't believe like he just stole this child. And then you find out she remembers what actually happened, which was that she killed her mom. Literally, the only thing we learn in this scene is that she doesn't know things that we already know. Exactly. Exactly. Which is, like, extra confusing. Yeah. You know, and, like, with the, with the, with the Batman Begins, because, like, Simon Kinberg, I am a big fan of the first half hour of Batman Begins. Yeah. I'm a big fan of all of Batman Begins. Me, but me too, The first, yeah. first half hour is fantastic. And, you know, I love – no one – everyone in a Christopher Nolan movie sounds like they're in a movie, which right. is a good thing. You know, it, it, yeah. it, even they are sometimes speak in kind of clunky movie dialogue. Yeah. And say just right on the level what they, what they, what they mean. Yeah. But what that movie does have is a really propulsive sense of narrative. Yes. And the way that movie is structured and the way Bruce's mm-hmm. journey is structured, like Scott was kind of illustrating with, you can cu- cut this up and present this in a way that is compelling. Right. And, and, but yeah, but like, yeah, this is very rote. And then the next thing happens. Right. Right. And that's the thing. It's just not compelling. It's just not yeah. compelling at all. So anyway, we get OP Jean Grey. She like wrecks right. the house. The X-Men arrive. Shattering the friendship that has been building since X-Men Apocalypse. Yes. Did you guys notice how many times <laughs> that like in this scene, things start vibrating and her dad is like, stop doing that. And she's like, that's not me. That's it's them. The, it's the jet, stupid. It's, it's the jet. But that line is like repeated multiple times. It's said again in Genosha. Oh, it's not me. Uh, in Genosha, the helicopter blades start twirling, and Magneto's like, "That's not me." That's and then supposed she steps to be Genosha. Like, That's Genosha, Scott. That's Genosha. Yeah. Dear God Almighty. Okay. I only know that because of the Wikipedia page. To be clear, I I could not have picked up on that on my own. Yeah, no, no one ever says "Welcome to Genosha" or "Get out of Genosha" or, or "This the, is an island." There's like, never a <laughs> subtitle that says Genosha. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Genosha speaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. She doesn't walk past the sign that says Genosha population. population. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the little number falls down when she walks. <laughs> the population is changing because multiple man is there. That'd be fun. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so Jean Grey flies now and she's very OP and she attacks some police officers and then. She fights the X Men. Yeah, she attacks the X Men and then. Freaks out when Raven is trying to talk to her and, like, accidentally sort of, like, blasts her backward into some splintered wood, which impales and kills our beloved Mystique. 
Mm-hmm. Um, which explains why Mystique is not in that scene at the end of Days of Future Past. Remember, I was like, oh, to show that things change, Mystique, Rebecca Romaine should be yeah. in yeah. the in that scene. And now we know why she's Brian there. Singer was really galaxy braining that decision. Very generous of you to assume that was <laughs> orchestrated in any way. <laughs> this fight is, I mean, serviceable. I don't think any of these fights are awful or that great. There's a fun moment where Quicksilver is like running to like catch her in slow motion and she like moves the things he's running on. That's fun. Yeah. But but that is also right out of the Justice League movie. That's with, true. With Superman seeing the Flash coming and the Flash being like, oh shit, he saw me. Yeah. And you know, you know like Kimberg goes to see these movies. Yeah. You know, well, to uh, be fair, I think this movie was shot before Justice League came out. Oh, is that right? It was oh, shot I in guess, 2017. Yeah, this was, I guess that came out in 2017. Yeah, summer of 2017, Justice League. But you know what was a point of reference for Kinberg was Captain America Civil War. Mm-hmm. And how that movie attempted to, you know, treat these emotions and personal yeah. conflicts and take them very seriously. But you know what, you know what uh, Captain America Civil War had that this movie doesn't have is one, you know, Build up. foundation. But yeah, but two, An engaged cast. But uh, no, I was going to say fight choreographers and like <laughs> and like action directors because Marvel Studios, as we know. Right. They bring in these directors who are very fresh, very green, and they're like, don't worry about the action. We previs all of that. We have second units who do all of that. Just worry about the character stuff. And I know people love to give them shit for doing that. But imagine this movie with that backing, like Simon Kinberg directing the stuff he actually cared about and then letting a very established second unit you know, to do these these action scenes that are like very lacking in this movie, and I mean that's why the the bad Marvel movies are still like B's or you know B minus at the worst. It's because like you know all of the important things, the action scenes that you're there for, are like taken care of. Yeah, right, right. No one's gonna ruin those. That's something he could have used, is what I'm saying yes. on his first film of all time. <laughs> yeah. Bef- before we uh, before we close the curtain on Jennifer Lawrence. Yes. Uh, in, the, in the series. It should be noted that she considers this to be her best work on the series. She really, like Scott mentioned earlier, she really appreciated like the full circle nature of her character mm-hmm. and like kind of bringing it home, mm-hmm. ending it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said she was proud of the work that she did. And that left me kind of like reckoning that with the uh, Michael, certainly not, or Mark, certainly not the first person to say that she seems like totally checked out in this. I, I may have even thought that watching it. Mm-hmm. But, like, the discrepancy or whatever, I don't know if that's the right word, between, like, oh, this is my best work. I really, I'm really proud of this, to, oh, my God, she seems like she doesn't even want to be here. Yeah. Is really you know, fascinating to me. Yeah. I think that that might come with, I mean, she has slowed down the number of movies she's making a year to the point where it's, like, one a year, maybe. Yeah. And I wonder if she has, like matured a little bit she's left self-conscious about her work so you know i think that she's much better in first class and days of future past but she also might have been younger and more self-conscious at the time right so now she she can is a little bit more willing to like give herself compliments she's not she just doesn't feel hungry in this movie the way that she does in those first two it's uh, yeah it's it's really it's really interesting i don't have an easy but yeah like i I agree doesn't have any fight scenes in this right all of her scenes are just dialogue. No, no flippy kicks. No, no flippy yeah. kicks. No, yeah. And yeah, and she's out 
20 minutes out. in. I remember that being kind of like half teased. Was it a surprise to both of you? No, it's down spoiled it for the, the first trailer. Time? They, they gave okay. it away in the trailer. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, I, right. I don't remember the trailers <laughs> enough where I was a little bit surprised, but also mm-hmm. not super surprised because I feel like Jennifer Lawrence was like ready to be done with this franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then, <clears throat> which she, I think she was. <laughs> I think she yeah. was definitely like looking, but seemed to stay out of loyalty to fans and Kinberg and the big fat paycheck. They also sure. hid her wound for way too long when she died. A little, Did weird, you guys, a little weirdly staged. Yeah. It was like, like we she, know what. She died, and you saw, like, five people react to it before they showed that she had been, like, impaled. Yeah. Which I don't know, really was a PG-13 thing or just, like, a... No, because they did show it. It's not like they didn't show yeah. it. But it was, like... It did. It did for a second. I did think that until they eventually showed it. And then I was, like, this is edited weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we get a much like X Men: The Last Stand. We get a sad funeral montage scene. Yeah, with a speech, with a eulogy. Yep. Charles feels very impersonal in mm. burying his best friend. Right. Yeah. It's a very weird choice by McAvoy, and I think what his thought process in the moment is like, well, this is a guy who's in denial about his part in all of this. And yeah. so he would, he would be putting it, that denial on extra thick here. Yeah. So like it would be a little more cold. So yeah. I understand his instinct for that, but like, dude, your best friend died. Like your best friend is in the ground. I think he gives a little bit more of that later, but you're right. It, it, it feels very like okay, we got to do a funeral. Let's just give a speech. Yeah, it's still and too. I think uh, and I think that scene with Hank that we have right after if it, is, is it right after? Yes, right after. Yep. Where you know Hank is mourning and uh, Professor Charles. X like rolls himself yeah. in, like enters his room and is, like has his alcohol and starts pontificating again. Yeah, and yeah. Like, you know this is where I first met Raven when I and I I really I really appreciated that they brought it back up because I found an interesting parallel between. That scene and the scene that he describes, the first scene of the movie with Gene and the first scene with Raven. Yeah. Where it's like that scene has a different context now when I think about it of like you don't have to steal because like now I will protect you. Yeah. I now you don't have to. I, I'll, you know, he he has this habit of like taking this weird kind of ownership over. Yeah. The the girl, the people and the girls. Yeah. That he protects that he looks out for. And Hank calls him out on that in this scene. And like a lot of the other scenes in the movie, it's it's very mm-hmm. rote and everyone's just kind of saying what they're feeling. But it was a cool moment to see after like however so many movies, Hank really standing up to Charles in a real way and like lashing out after being like the most loyal boy for all these movies. Right. Right. I mean, it's a it's a well acted scene. I will give I will give them that. And yes. uh, yeah, Mac- McAvoy continues to do a good job in his roles. Yeah. Maybe not the best decisions always, as you pointed out with the funeral scene, but he's just a, a great actor and yeah. is incapable of phoning it in. Seemingly, I also think this is the best Nicholas Holt is as Beast is in this movie. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's really good in this. In this movie, he seems to have the ability to turn back and forth from Beast at will, which I Never think explained. is an apocalypse thing as well, if I remember yes. correctly. Well, in Apocalypse, he has to take pills because there's a part okay. where he's, he's captured and he's like, oh, I didn't take my pills. And so he's blue again. You're right. right, right, right. But in this, right, he, right. he 
there's a scene where he just like turns and it's cool effects. I kind of like it better it's than like, all ow. of the bullshit before. But like, when did it change from shots to pills? To is it a, is it a button? To? Does he, did he swallow something? I think it just keeps evolving with each one. Like in the, in, in days of future past in, in between first class and days of future past, he found like a shot that you take to okay. like, yeah. get rid of it. Suppress and then it. between, Days of Future Past and Apocalypse, he upgraded that to a pill, mm. and now he can do it with sheer force of will, probably <laughs> through some sort of pharmaceutical help. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Maybe he has, like, an insulin pump that he has some sort of remote control for. It's that ellipses yeah. storytelling that they're doing in these uh, in these prequels. And films. it's never addressed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's it's very strange. Like at least the romance, you can be like, I assume that you know they had a normal romance in the seven years prior. But there's no like normal evolution. <laughs> I can of forgive powers. the romance being ignored, <laughs> but the little button that makes his skin change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and these are the questions I need answered. And then we get this scene where Jessica Chastain rolls up on Mister Gray, Jean's father, and is like wants information from him that I'm not sure that she ever gets because I don't know how her father could lead her to the bar where she finds Jean Grey. Yeah, her father, who hasn't seen her other than that five-minute conversation, had not seen her in decades. Her favorite bar when she was a kid was down on (laughs) Flannery Street. She'll be disguised as this old man. (laughs) Yeah. She like tortures this guy for information and I don't don't know what information she's trying to get because it doesn't... How would he know that she's at... Yeah, because the next time we see Jean, she's like pretending to be an old man at a bar. Right. And how would would he know anything? What information could he possibly have that she would want? Did they even... Hint that she he knows that she's like you know the famous Jean Grey of the X Men. Like, are we meant to just kind of assume that? I don't know. He must know that because he gave her away to Charles Xavier. Okay, but also, yeah. uh, Vuck knows that as well because she's like, it's Jean Grey has the power and she's super powerful. Yeah. Is that that's before oh, this, right? I think so. I, yeah, I think you're. You right. know, I I'll also say this. I, I'm just gonna <laughs> say this. Sure, Charles Xavier, right? He's a jerk. He 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 is a jerk, but he. He puts up these walls in Jean Grey's mind to block this trauma from Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. The least he could have done is do the same to this dude so that he could like <laughs> lead a normal life instead of maybe, be tortured by this the rest of his life. Maybe he did, and that's why there's no pictures of Jean. But he knows her as soon as he sees her. Maybe she broke down those walls. I don't know. I'm I'm just you know trying to try my best to to think yeah. of something. Wait, like wait. So is the alternative? He also thinks that. Gene died along with his wife. Either or does that, he has no memory of his wife ever lived. Or or either that so you could do you could do that. You could get rid of her entirely. You could get rid of Gene, but uh, like his wife died in a car accident, but like Gene didn't exist in his mind, so like it was just wow. a car accident. I don't oh man, I don't I feel like I I'm picturing Laura, Jennifer Lawrence being like, "Wait, why like no, no, no. I just made her forget that her wife was ever alive." <laughs> <laughs> He was never married. Um, He's in his 50s and he just never got married. He doesn't know why. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. It's messy. It's no good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't. I don't. Anyway, Gene visits Magneto in what I thought was a commune, but is apparently Genosha. Which is a commune of sorts. The the mutant island that is... Yeah, like uh, fans have been asking. I don't know. Like it was on the list of like, well, wouldn't it be great to someday see Genosha? Yeah, 
but yeah, and they it's, gave it to the fans, but didn't tell the fans that they were giving it to them. Which like a lot the of point. things in this movie, yeah, and uh, and like Scott said, it kind of just looks like a commune. Because wouldn't you describe Genosha in the comics as like almost like Wakandian, and it's like, yeah, it's like a yeah. utopia, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a utopia because it's full of mutants who can like do shit and like you know build a city like really quickly, like they rebuilt the mansion at the end of Apocalypse. But no, not here. It, it seems like they just they just garden. It looks like you know it's like it looks Walking like, Dead level. Yeah, it just looks yeah. like a um, camp. Like a military camp in Vietnam, oh, is like what a it looks like to me. Yeah, like no, no, like one, like one, like the soldiers put up. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Like an, yeah, an outpost or some kind like of an like... outpost. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. It doesn't. Yeah, it's like how long have okay? So here again. So the, how long there... has this been going on? Yeah. Apoc- apocalypse opens, and it's like, oh, by the way, since you've been gone, Magneto fell in love. <laughs> Yeah, has a wife and kids. Had a wife and kids, and now is like living as a a welder. Now it's like okay, it's been ten years since that. He found an island, got permission (laughs) from the government to run this island. The government gave him an island. Yeah, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that he killed Kennedy, (laughs) didn't kill Kennedy. Tried to save Kennedy. (laughs) Tried to kill. Please didn't. Stopped Apocalypse, and now he gets an island. Well, join Apocalypse. Apocalypse, but only after joining him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so somehow he gets an island, presumably because it's like how long has he been running it for? Ten years? Has it been five years? Six months? Know. Because if it's only been a few months, I guess you could kind of excuse how ramshackle it looks. But right. but then so Gene meet. I don't want to do your job, but like Gene meets Magneto, and it's implied that Magneto is like, I don't do that anymore. I've put the helmet under a box under my bed right so yeah, yeah why do all of these movies have a scene where eric like goes and gets his helmet <laughs> that's really true like three in a row now <laughs> three in a row and and technically four because he gets he gets the helmet in yeah, first class as that's well. true yeah so Let me go get my helmet it's like a big yeah oh so 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 gene goes to genosha and i'm almost certain this is the first time that these two characters have exchanged lines with one another. Correct. Uh, they that didn't sounds talk right. At all in Apocalypse. No. In this timeline, you mean? In a, yeah, in Apocalypse. Okay. Because like, right. this is. They, he was like, holy shit, when she like. Holy shit. Out and, yeah. and like got like Dark Phoenixed, all, all, all Phoenixed out to like murder Apocalypse. <laughs> um, and he was like, whoa, that's cool. I'm glad I yeah. threw those metal beams down in the form of an X so she knows I'm a good guy. Um, <laughs> And it's like, yeah, did he go on adventures with them afterward, or did he leave to start Genosha immediately after Apocalypse ended? Like, what kind of relationship did Gene and Magneto have? I I feel like what this movie is telling us without telling Telling us us, is that he was on the X-Men for a while after Apocalypse, and then as they became superheroes where they were constantly saving mankind, he bailed because he was like, not my bag. Yeah. That's not my bag, baby. That's uh, not my bag, then, babe. <laughs> and then left and started Genosha with a bunch of people who felt the same. That like yeah. mutants shouldn't be. That sounds right. Yeah. Mutants shouldn't be humanity superheroes. Like that's mm. not our job. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're not here to like protect them and save them. We're just here to do our thing. And yeah. he somehow got the government to be cool with that. Yeah. I I assume that he's like, hey, I'm going to be a terrorist if you don't give me a, a island. Like, All right. We know you're right. You killed yeah. Kennedy. Uh, whoever Reagan is in this timeline was like, okay, fine. Have, a, have an island. We don't care. Yeah, yeah. Good riddance. 
<laughs> I do appreciate because yeah, the, we kind of hint at that where like Charles is willing to put mutant lives on the line if it means getting more and more acceptance. But like you're on the cover of Time, like there's action figures of your students. Like what? What is acceptance at this point? And you know, there's that scene with him and Jennifer Lawrence, R.I.P., where he's like, "If we slip up even once, it's right back to where we started, and we lose everything." Which and it's, it's like, is that is, sustainable? That is yeah. true, apparently. Uh, yeah, because, it rings. It rings true to like you know, like phobias and prejudice. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, like in 15 more minutes of this movie, the, the phone line is cut to the to the president. <laughs> That's right. true. Very fickle, the American government. Yeah, the American people. Mm-hmm. It's like what Green Goblin told Spider Man on the roof of that building, Scott. Yep, <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> the conversation they have feels like they're not super close. That's okay. Yeah, that that, yeah. that feels true. Because she's like, yeah. you hurt people, right? Which seems you right. know unfamiliar. If, if they've had a conversation before, uh, you would assume that they had <laughs> talked about hurting people. Yeah. Holy right. shit! Didn't you kill? <laughs> I like I like the idea that Reagan installed the X phone, and and Magneto was like, "You're you're gonna like take calls from Reagan? Listen." Reaganomics does not work. Trickle-down <laughs> oh, economics again. does not work. You know what? I'm going to prove it. I'm going to start my own island. And Give I'm going to show you, Eric. I'm going to show you how a real economy should work. You'll see. <laughs> it won't trickle down, Charles. <laughs> it never trickles down. If you look in the background of Genosha, Jimmy Carter's there building a house. So that actually makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> Hi, Eric. You want uh, some peanuts? <laughs> I, I feel so bad for the Genosians, man. Like they didn't ask for any of this. It's Gene true. just Gene just comes in, help me. Not then, even help me. Not even that. Right. Really, yeah. it takes her forever to get to the fucking point. Just wants some advice. How do you yeah. stop hurting people? Whose yeah. blood is that? And okay, so like I was trying to really track where Gene was because again, this is supposed to be a deep character study into the mind right. of Gene Gray, and I'm like. She's talking. She's like she's speaking in all these platitudes, like you said. These trailer lines, Mark, of like when I when I get angry, bad things happen, and I hurt people. And yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, you mean you, you killed Gene like an hour ago? Raven, Raven. I'm sorry. Yeah. You killed you killed Mystique like an hour ago. And it's Gene, it, she's Gene not also acting. died an hour ago. To be fair, she just <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, it's just none of this is tracking emotionally. She's not acting like a real person, and it's it's a real shame because Sophie Turner apparently did like research into like schizophrenia and multiple personality mm-hmm. disorder for this movie. But like, it's not registering on the it screen. does kind of track as an uh, analogy for like anxiety or your multiple personality disorder like when she first freaks out in the woods at the dazzler concert it does feel like a panic attack to some extent who hasn't freaked out in the woods of a dazzler concert <laughs> <laughs> look i don't know what was in that drink she was drinking but uh oh, you know right. yeah. sometimes at concerts you can you can go kind of crazy <laughs> but you know you don't hurt people with anxiety attacks the the analogy that they're trying to draw is kind of confusing but yeah. feels vaguely you know mental yeah. health oriented i agree with you mark but i do think if we're going down that path then i definitely have opinions about where this movie ends and but we'll, 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 we'll get to it yeah. in terms of like how they solve that problem or <laughs> you know gene's gene's issues that's that's very true not a great solution uh but, but yeah the military comes 
Yeah. In general, with with the the Jean Grey Magneto like conversation, the thing that mm-hmm. like really bothers me about it is like. He, she she's asking him like so you hurt people how do you stop from hurting people and it's like okay well first of all he hurts people on purpose you're hurting yeah. people on accident yes yeah. it's not the same thing and you're not that stupid we like you're you can't possibly be that stupid and his answer is like well you know i fought for vengeance for a long time and i realized that like vengeance never really pays off yeah um but yeah he also quickly starts to search for vengeance again. But also vengeance is not her thing, which is what you were saying. It's like you guys are hurting people for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah, like it was like it wasn't in her control. And like I think that maybe that's my problem with this scene. It has shades of like sexy born yesterday that last mm-hmm. stand had where it's like, wait, you would you would know this. You you're in a dig what we've known about you, like you're you would be aware of the difference. Like yeah, because even in Apocalypse, he was there for vengeance. Right. Not just, you know, angry and hurting people. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, the X-Phone, like, the, the military show up, Jean Grey attacks them, Magneto tries to save them, and then and then uh, everybody bails, basically. In a very, like, boring fight sequence, which is basically both of them just, like, looking at a helicopter and fighting over whether it's going to fly or not. Yep. And then, uh, and then Magneto sorry. just kind of yeets it and yeah, it takes and off. I'm, and I'm sorry. The fact that Magneto is even standing a chance against the Phoenix is n- no, no, yeah. doesn't, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like I'm, I'm sorry. The right choice here was to kill those military guys movie, like to have he, her just fling that thing out of there and Magneto just be like, holy shit. Like, I, you know, like, like, why didn't you try to stop her? And him be like, I, I did. I did try. Um, like, uh. she's that powerful, well, you know? Do any of them die? I, uh, I don't know. It seems like it based on the military's reaction, but then again, the U.S. military is known to overreact. Right. I'm not sure. It's just kind of a weird, like, from a storytelling standpoint of, like, what what are we supposed to take from that sequence that we just watched if it just ends with, like, and then they got away. Yeah. But it's it's pretty spooky that Jane almost killed those, those army guys. I it's, think you're supposed to get that she's stronger than Magneto, which it seems like she's, like, marginally stronger than Magneto, and also that Magneto's here now. But she... She doesn't win, though. He he holds it the whole time until he lets go, and then she flings it well, into the she sky. Well, t- but he tells the people to get on the helicopter because he can't hold it for much longer. It's yeah. just it's just not communicated very well because normally in these like you know f- you know powers off, it'll right. be like you know think about Harry Potter and Voldemort, where like there's literally like a power bar that you can see where it's scrolling back <laughs> right, and forth. Right. And this is like I don't know. It's the helicopter just hovering. Yeah, and the it fact that it isn't taking off means that she has control, and the fact that it isn't crashing means that he has control. It's it basically amounts to watching Magneto and Jean Grey arm wrestle. Yeah, yeah, which exactly. I would prefer to be but, honest. But they should have just arm wrestled. Is, is them both like hovering straight up and down? Yeah, with neither of them having a a clear leg up to mix yeah. my metaphors here. Right. So then after this, America hates mutants again. And the president unplugs the X-Phone. Uh, Xavier tries to call, and they're like, the president won't be taking your calls anymore. This phone is being disconnected. They He's say, like, wait, 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 don't do it. And then they just disconnected in the middle of a call, which I was hoping, I hope that they were waiting for Xavier to call just so that they could pull <laughs> that move. 
For sure. Just it's, so that it's he a knew. real new new phone who dis. Yeah. Um right right in Xavier's face. Yeah. It's good. It's a good moment. He's very upset that he's not a celebrity anymore and that the people don't love him. They're also talking mutants. about like internment camps for mutants or something like that. Yeah. Which it, it yeah. seems like a you know, an about face. Yeah, big time. Huge. And then we see Gene drinking in a bar as an old man. Yeah, yeah, we get Vox Convert. I guess like sales pitch. I don't know. It's just more platitudes. It's more, you don't know how powerful you are, but what if you could control that power? Is this when we get the like planet birthing? No, that's later. She takes her back to her home base and walks her in the bedroom and then shows her the world. Which is just like a building. Yeah. So, yeah, I I agree with what you're saying about platitudes, because the thing about it is, like, you're right. She does say all those things. You know, what if you could learn to use that power? But she doesn't actually want that. She wants her to relinquish the power. So why isn't what she's really doing being like, I can take that power off your hands. All you got to do is come with me. That was the the fact that that's where this is all heading yeah. is baffling that that isn't what she's just trying to do from the get-go. Because you're right, Scott, there's no, like in the comics, there's no scene of, of Phoenix being like, oh my God, I'm the shit. This is crazy. I love this. I can, what else can I do? Wow, what yeah. more? Yeah. Yeah, the best we get is her like at the Dazzler Secret Show being like, I feel great. Look at all the alcohol I'm down. Fill my drink, like, Scott. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, all right, cool. I've never felt better. <laughs> it, it does seem like Vuck is trying to use the combination of the Phoenix Force and Jean Grey's power, which is stronger than just the Phoenix Force. Like, I don't think that Vuck could have the Phoenix Force and turn a planet into life. It it takes the combination that Jean Grey has. I have no idea. I really don't know. That's just my... I, I like to just kind of fill in some blanks in my mind to make stories make sense, and that's what makes sense to me. Hank visits Magneto in Genosha next. And uh, Hank tells him about uh, the fact that Raven's dead, and he, they're both really upset. And sure, basically talk about how they both loved her, which is news to me. I know Hank loved her, but I never got the vibe that that uh, Magneto felt. Oh, really? Strongly that a, about that her. was a, yeah. a, a big vibe in first class. I feel like I feel like what I what I again. This is all just inferring over the the you know the gaps in the saga. Is that things got non-platonic post first class pre Days of Future Past pre Kennedy? Yeah, I mean, I know that's only a span of like a week, as we <laughs> as we as we found out when during we, that one semester of Xavier's school, there yeah. was something that went down. But I don't know. I, I remember that not being a surprise to me that that Magneto and Raven were non-platonic slash romantic. I guess, mm. but but definitely hasn't been you know, explored at the level of Hank and Mystique, which again, isn't a lot. I mean, he was literally going to kill her in Days of Future Past. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and also had a wife since then, so. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, like, I don't know about any interactions they've had, period, post Days of Future Past. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because then she became General Striker, and he... <laughs> right, of course. Right, of course. <laughs> and then she, he flew to... I think Germany it was, and met yeah. his wife. Poland, I think. Poland, yes. You're Poland. Right. I think you're, you're, you're right. Because, um, yeah, like, cause, like after Raven, after he finds out that Raven is dead, he, he pulls out the, the, the box and he puts the helmet on for what I think is the third time in 10 years. Yep. 
Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and it's just like I'm about to do something I don't want Charles knowing about. Yeah, so it's I'm like that, that, the helmet on. It's like that Bugs Bunny meme where he's like holding up the gun. And because, like, because that's the only purpose of the helmet mm-hmm. is to keep Charles out of his head. Oh, I had a question about that. So, yeah. Um, is that how he is able to fly? Is because he controls the metal that is on his helmet, or can he just fly? Um, I think that him flying has something to do with, like, the Earth's magnetic fields. Okay. Yeah. But also, I mean, I don't think that the helmet is strong enough to, like, pick him up by the head. <laughs> okay, that's Maybe true. he has metal shoes that he picks up. I don't Maybe, know. It's yeah, because he's got, like, steel toes. Because <laughs> when he sees Jean Grey fly away earlier, he's kind of, like, looking up at it. And I'm like, oh, is he – is it weird to see someone fly? Because he can fly. And I was like, how can he fly? Why is that part of his power? He kind of – when Jean Grey first showed up, he kind of pushed himself out of a building, which I thought was fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I like your poll's answer, though. So anyway, uh, Eric and, and Hank shake hands and agree to murder Jean Grey. You know what? <laughs> Let's kill Jean Grey. Hank. Let's just kill her. <laughs> Let's uh, let bygones be bygones and kill Jean Grey. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's murder that girl I've known for 10 years. Right. That, that girl that I've taught from a young age. <laughs> yeah. Because you have to imagine Beast was there when Jean first came to the school. Yeah. yeah. O- o- Beast almost has certainly. known her for as long as Xavier has. Yep. Yep. She is minimum 24, 25 yeah, in this. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. Because she was a, a late teenager at the youngest in yeah. Apocalypse. So he's known her for like 15 years. <laughs> Crazy. Since 75. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, cut cock in a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> Let's kill her. <laughs> Let's kill her. I know that I fought against you three separate times, but now, but now we have a common friend enemy. of mine. He, he said, Mark, I know we've had our differences in the past. That's what he was talking about. Oh, boy. So Jean's in New York, right? Yeah. she's in. So she's in a house in New York where where all of the aliens are, are, are posted. They're hanging out. This is where we get the galaxy scene where she's like, yes. where Chastain's like, hey, this is... Where this is this cosmic force thing, it's really destructive. It fucked up our planet. Now we want it so we can like make our planet again or it can, something. It, it can create life. Yeah, this is what you could be. That would be cool, right? And then she's like, "No, this sucks. I don't want. I don't <laughs> want this." Because uh, in the comics, they do explicitly say, "I'm sorry." They do explicitly say that that's what the Phoenix Force is. Is it's this right. life bringing and destroying force that just roams the galaxy? Right. 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 Yeah, there's a lot of those in the MCU. A lot That's of the, true. Galactus is that also. <laughs> nom, um, nom, nom, nom. Yeah, yeah. Mostly destroying, not as much bringing. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. If you, if you made a planet every now and then, it'd be cool, you know? Self-sufficient. Yeah. yeah. You can make a planet and then eat it and then make eat it a planet, again. Make a planet, yeah. Him and Ego should hang out. <laughs> that's, he's like, that's how he's explaining it to the Fantastic Four. He's like, hey, listen, you no, eat a planet, no, no. you make a planet. You like, make a planet. Yeah. <laughs> <Even so. laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so then we get this scene out front of this house in New York, which yes. is uh, a back lot. It looks like a set <laughs> yeah. of some kind. Um, I believe you're right. Yeah, and it is X-Men versus the Brotherhood, the Genosha Brotherhood. Wait, sorry, this was not filmed in New York? <laughs> On the streets <laughs> of New York City? I don't believe you. It was a pretty big budget movie. <laughs> did they ever not shoot in Canada? I don't think they did. I don't think so. I think they always shot in Canada. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
or maybe uh, like sometimes even, New York. Yeah, I think like, even like upstate first class did. Yeah, yeah. I think even first class shot in Canada. I'm and then sure. like, you know, Atlanta, I think at some point. Right. Oh, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So they're fighting over uh, either saving or killing Jean Grey. So we, uh, we get Cyclopses. So, so, like, so you I, know, a real, a real heroes on both sides kind of situation. <laughs> Just like Civil <laughs> War. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Civil War. I'm a big fan of Cyclops's line. If you touch her, I will fucking kill you. Yep. Worth does it. Does he say F-bomb? fucking? Yeah. He says, he says fucking. Wow. Yeah. Like, he sure I don't, does. I don't get why movies do that. Like, you can, you can not say the F word. Hey, look, you get one. Why wouldn't you take it? It's been a thing now with these prequel movies. They've all done it. Oh, that didn't that hasn't yeah, you're right. You're totally yeah, right. They've, they've all had been, they've all dropped one F bomb. They've just been slowly watered down from like a huge cheer in the theater when uh you know Wolverine first says fuck off to yeah. like a, a snort. Yeah. yeah to like, to an immediate the, the immediate next one is a misquote of the one from the first <laughs> yeah, one. I'm yeah. gonna tell you exactly what you said to me. Get the fuck out of my mansion. <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah. And at this point, I'm like, wait, did he say fuck? I completely missed it because it's such a like a written off line. Yeah, I, I did because it was kind of nails on a chalkboardy for me because it was yeah. it was it was uh, Ty Simpkins or Ty. Uh, sure. Yeah, it feels weird coming out of him, and it feels weird coming out of Cyclops. I forgot um, who says it. Where the f bomb is in Apocalypse? To be honest. Oh, who the fuck are you? Yep, Michael Fassbender. Yep. Who the. F- are yeah yeah i like the forest <laughs> that's good that's what they all feel like except for uh it's except for first class yeah it's a yeah the mutant fight is kind of whatever unfortunately it's weak it's weak there's so it's many mutants off. that i have no idea who they are like all of the brotherhood are super anonymous there's a guy um, who has dreads yeah, yeah dread whip guy was interesting yeah yeah uh, i i also couldn't track who was doing what most yeah. of the time what happened to nightcrawler during this sequence he was like yeah, because there's a scene, there's another mind reader, right? Yes. And she's mm-hmm. just, like, standing in front of Xavier as he's slowly backing up, and Nightcrawler is, like, kind of flipping in, but not really sticking. Yeah, I don't What's know what, going he, what on she's, there? I don't know what she's doing to him to make him, like, it's like in Loki, where, like, that, that character's trapped in that loop of getting, like, portaled. Yeah. I don't get, I don't, yeah, I don't know. And that's, I, like, normally the fun of X-Men movies is seeing the rock, paper, scissors of, like, oh, that power cancels out this thing because of that power. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It didn't feel like it was a very well-thought-out action sequence. Like, if you told me that this was mostly improvised, I would kind of believe it. I don't think that that's true, but that's what it feels like. Storm is just throwing lightning bolts out of her hands at some yeah. point. What? Which is, like, what? Like, that's not how her powers work. It is now. Um, you guys are big X Men like comic fans, right? Do you recognize any of the Brotherhood P here? Not I would say really. Scott more than me, and unfortunately, like they're just kind of dressed in like drag, like garb. Yeah. So you'd have to be like a mutant who has who you know uses their hair. Yeah, or, like, I'm not a, sure. A mutant that also has tele, tele- you know, because you know she has a line like you're not the only one who could read minds, but yeah. you never. Learn what you're basically describing the inhumans on top of like, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, they could all be mutants, but also you're describing the inhumans, so it's like it's weird. It's very, I don't know, it feels Um, very like what would be a cool power kind of thing, and they don't even think of cool powers, yeah, hair whip. So Magneto makes it, makes it in. And has a showdown with Gene. That subway, that subway thing was kind of cool when it like bursts through the building, but he's yeah. still walking like a pimp. 
Yeah, well, the, see, that was one of those things where I was like, who's doing that? Oh, Magneto's doing that? Like, I couldn't quite follow right. why things were happening a he lot made, of the time. He made the car rise out of the, the ground, I guess. Yeah, I yeah. I think that Magneto has fun with trains in this movie, and that's maybe my favorite thing about the movie. He does. He does have fun with trains. Yeah. I do like how practical it all feels, even though – and you know what? Right. It's still nicer to look at than a lot of the stuff in the airport fight sequence in Civil War, which is like – that's you true. know, gray daytime with like gray pavement. You know, that's like, true. Yeah. Yeah. But people have like established powers and fun right. quips in that fight right. scene. That's the thing. Is like all the fighting is better in Civil War. It's just that this this is like kind of nicer to look at because it's like at least right. more interesting. You to look at, you don't care that it's like you said it's very drab kind of CG background because you're like oh no Clinton Natter fighting oh Black yeah. Panther he's cool oh well totally. Ant Man oh, Spider Man yeah yes. and like I also think that that. It just has a better sense of space in terms of its fighting. Like, right. it just seems like there's a bunch of people fighting, and you don't really know where they are in relationship right. to each other or what they're doing. It this fight scene feels, you know, like the whole movie. Kind of like, yeah, they're fighting. I get that. But I don't really know what's happening or why or how. Yeah, it's all very tight quarters too because it was done on a set that they built, right? That it's all very tight quarters because they only have like a block to do it yeah. on. Yeah. And so, like, you can't split up the fight by having people be in different areas because it's like there's only one area. They can't go outside of, like, the fighting arena, you know? They can't go, like, running across the rooftops or, you know, inside of a building. It's just like, okay, you're on this street. Yeah. yeah. So, listeners, I just remembered something I really wanted to bring up to, to, to both of you and then people at home. A point of contention and discussion for all of Hot Mutant Summer has been the status of Magneto's helmet. Yeah. Where does this helmet come from? Why does the helmet that Michael Fassbender wears look so different than the helmet that Ian McKellen wears? And we finally learn in this movie it's because it's not the same helmet. Mm. Yes. Gene destroys Magneto's helmet after crushing his skull with it. Which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But it's also... We don't even know if this is the same, technically the same helmet from first class. Because it it was all like melty and like burnt up in... Which one was it? Was it Apocalypse that was melty and burnt up? I, th- I think it already looked pretty knocked up in Days of Future Past. I remember okay, you guys so talking about it in the Days of Future Past episode. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, you have to assume that it, like, when they, like, arrested him, yeah. something happened to it. I don't know. Right. Again, lots of uh, ellipses, <laughs> ellipses between movies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, like then like, in, but, but then in Apocalypse, it looks fine, kind of like this one, which is, mm-hmm. like, nice. It looks, it's a yeah. nice-looking helmet. So, I yeah, it's... I don't know where he's getting know. all these helmets, these one-of-a-kind <laughs> helmets. <laughs> I assume that he has some blacksmithing skills with his powers. He can make his own helmet. That's and true. His own yeah, helmet. but what, what does he, he know to... what it's made out of, though, to block Charles' oh, powers? Oh, yeah. Why, why is the helmet – why is Sebastian no, Shaw's helmet that, able to – That is a good question. Okay. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. Cool, cool, <laughs> cool. <laughs> what about that shape of helmet, or is it what it's made of, or is it magical somehow? Yeah, um, no, yeah, no idea. Because he shows up. Because he's isn't he wearing it at first for Emma Frost before he even knows who Charles is? Yeah, because he because the first I think it was the first time we see him wearing the helmet when they storm the base and he's like, "Where's the is a telepath here? Good, I can take this ridiculous thing off." Right, know? right, yeah. I think that's I think that's right. It's yeah. not fair that it's already all falling apart from my memory. <laughs> <laughs> we're not even done yet. Yeah. So anyway, so she fucks up. Uh, Magneto, mm-hmm. and then now it's Charles's turn, and she does what yes. is 
the most horrifying thing I think I've ever seen depicted in an X-Men movie. And some we, of the best physical acting I've seen in a X-Men movie as well. Yeah, it is horrifying. Uh, she makes Charles walk up the stairs to her, like, using, like, puppeting his yeah. his legs in, like, the... It, it is so creepy. Going it's, up a staircase where he is taking every step one step at a time, yeah. but also just kind of hovering, not actually using his legs. It's... Uh. It is evil. It's, it feels it's humiliating. So cool. It's unforgivable. It's, I mean, he kind of uh, deserves I, I, it. I, I won't say I. I won't. Uh, you know, I think Foss, I think McAvoy's doing his best in a, in a crazy situation for an actor. I'm not going to say whether or not it made me and my buddy laugh alone in the theater in 2019. <laughs> oh, no, look, um, there's nothing like going to see a movie on your own and you're alone in a theater. I remember seeing Fan Four Stick alone with mm-hmm. two of my friends and openly right. booing and laughing at the movie, a movie that right. I don't necessarily hate until the last 30 minutes. Right. But you know, right. it's just fun to shout at a movie sometimes. But but Charles makes his way up those stairs. Ugh. Um, yeah, what the hell, Gene? Well, yeah. it's he says you can do whatever you want to, and she says, "Oh, really? Then walk," <laughs> which I feel like is a nice little twist on that phrase for someone who is, you know, kind of hasn't tortured her in her entire life, but has. That's kind of true. I mean, life. you know, it. You know, Jane's very angry at this. Is a pretty deep betrayal that Charles did. Yeah, and but yeah, it's insane. This um, is this is deeply fucked up, though. I don't know. It kind of it's like what was this like inside my cable? Oh, you know, it'd be really messed up is <laughs> i don't know but like even in, in the character from the character standpoint it just feels like gene gray has just been harboring this resentment that he's paralyzed and you it's just like what? why can't you just fucking walk and then like <laughs> and then in this moment this is like when she's just like oh can i well then fucking walk paralyzed man <laughs> you know and it's just like so gross you know when you're when you're really when you're really close with someone in your life that yeah. that person, you're kind of giving that person the capacity to really hurt you. Yeah, yeah. Because that person knows you so well, mm-hmm. and then sometimes you say something that like you can never take back. That like even if you're like crap, like I really that person's a good friend, but like I don't, I can never take back that. That is one of that moment. That that's, oh yeah. Is, I don't yeah. know if I'm if I'm Professor X. I don't know if I can ever fully trust their relationship Jean is Grey never again. the same after this. Yeah, yeah. She had no choice to be, but to become the Phoenix Force at the end of this movie. Cause so, yeah, like, sheer awkwardness. She was <laughs> yeah, sheer awkwardness, yeah. <laughs> I got to go. So I can't come back from this. So, so then Cyclops blasts Chastain, who has been, like, sucking the Phoenix Force out of Jean. Uh, because Jean is just like, I don't want this power. And she's like, dope, I do. And They then, hug. Yeah, they like she hugs it out of her. Let, and, let go, Jean. And then Cyclops blasts her, which is, like, a really cool shot. Of Cyclops, like, it looked, it was good. Yeah, I like, yeah. I like Cyclops how that has some good moves in this movie. Really good, and then somehow a bunch of soldiers get the drop on Xavier. What were those um, energy pellets? They were shooting at all the X Men to incapacitate them. Had they had those on standby? Apparently, they're leftover uh, cure bullets from Last Stand. Yeah, from the yeah. future. Yeah, yeah. For they they were somebody in the future sent those back to the past mm-hmm. so that they could be replicated. And they're taking aboard the reboot train, or the reshoot train, I should say. The reshoot train, yeah. So they're all on a train now, and uh, the aliens attack the train. Yeah, not like where is the train going to? Why do they choose train for travel? Well, the train is going to the internment camp, right? That they're right. talking about, right? In the news. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
no doubt run by Stryker or, or uh, Essex or something. Right, right. Yeah. Or it could be that prison that's in Deadpool 2. <laughs> um, yep. Maybe yep, that's answer. maybe that's why they built that prison was because yeah. of the events of this movie. Young that's Eddie Marsden. Yeah. Yeah. What what do you what 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 did both of you think of the train sequence? The final finale of the <laughs> X-Men series. I I wasn't blown away by it. I once again uh, Magneto has fun with trains, which yeah. you know, he like crushes a train completely flat, which I thought was really cool. That was good. After Storm helps him out by like blowing everybody into it. Yeah. Into the train. It, yeah. I feel kind of nothing towards it, as I do yeah. most of this movie. I think this is kind of a high, the highlight of the film for me, mm-hmm. um, which is unfortunate because it's supposed to be a raw, hard-hitting character drama. But <laughs> I think there's just some fun X-Men action figure moments of yeah. like them all working together. I like Magneto just being super ruthless and like ripping shards of metal from the train and like just stabbing people with it with yeah. his mind. Yeah. Nightcrawler it's, snaps a dude's neck with his tail. That I don't know how I felt about his little bloodlust moment. Wasn't um, into it. It was weird. Yeah, it, well, I wasn't into it because he has absolutely no like character arc in this. So like, it's not like we built up to this moment of like where he's like afraid to like do stuff or like mm-hmm. you know get his hands dirty. And they're like, well, I, sometimes you got to roll up your sleeve and do the thing, you know, or like let the demon out, Nightcrawler, and he yeah. and then like. You get this moment, and you're like, I mean, I don't like it, but I guess it was there. I guess he had been kind of characterized as like a little nervous, I guess. But yeah, like you said, there was never like a point in this in the story where they were like, "You're too soft." He really (laughs) has. I mean, nobody but Gene has a character arc in this movie. True, and like he could have a lot of PTSD from like being responsible for leaving Gene behind. In the space shuttle, like, you know, he has some responsibility there. If his plotline was having PTSD and not wanting to, like, be involved in the missions anymore and then he gets roped along, like, that could be an interesting storyline. Mm-hmm. But it's Jean Grey's story, so he just kind of, like, shows up for the fights. Yeah. None of these characters were given anything from Apocalypse to carry with them. Yeah. Because they weren't even characters in Apocalypse, Storm or Nightcrawler or Cyclops. And so, yeah, I mean, like, some of this is, is it's like fun mutant action. You know what I, I hate about it is that Gene Gray isn't in it. Like, he said, oh, like, he, yeah. he, he, he made this fucking movie because he was like, yeah, I mean, we kind of sidelined Gene Gray in The Last Stand, so I want to I not do that. And it's like, you're fucking doing it right now, yeah. man. Yeah. The, the finale of the movie, she is comatose, strapped to a table. Yeah, and all of the other mutants have to rally around and save and protect Gene. And it's and- not even shaped like an X, which is the literal least you could do. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're left. We're once again left with like, then what? What was the point of all this? Right. If right, you're just no, instead, her. Instead, it's fucking. It's a goddamn crucifix again. God, everybody, stop with the crucifix imagery. I mean, it, yeah. we've been doing it for 2,000 years. It's a hard habit to break. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> the uh, Oh, okay. So I have a question. So the train flips. Train, you know, crashes. Yeah. Yes. Um, who, are the, who are the people that are bum-rushing Gene at the very end? Are those Genotians? Are those no, a- aliens? No, they're more the aliens. Oh, they're yeah. aliens that they threw out who, like, must have healed and then ran over to them or something. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's too bad that nice mutant that was just living her life in Genosha didn't heal when she got yeeted off of a train. 
when when they go through the tunnel at the beginning and you get the sort of silhouette reveal of them crawling around on the ceiling of the tunnel, mm-hmm. I was like, are the fucking Morlocks in this? <laughs> like, I was, I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Um, and then it was the aliens. I was like, oh, right. Of I mean, course, the that aliens are probably sense. called the Morlocks in one of these scripts, probably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so many they probably things. did. We haven't even talked about how the fuck the Hellfire Club would even fit into this movie. I'm not sure. I mean, that was in the conceptual. I don't know if that ever even reached screenplay. But yeah, that's a really good point of like... I feel like they just would have replaced the aliens, right? You just wouldn't have the aliens. You'd have the Hellfire Club. So would there be like like dozens of Hellfire Club members like attacking the train? Yeah, that's what I would assume. They would just be trying to get the power from Gene and use it for themselves. Yeah, that's what they're trying to do in the comics. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm remembering... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Wait, did the Hellfire people have powers? Yes. Or are they all all mutants? Okay. Yeah. Because like I don't know. they'd probably be more interesting than these vaguely powered aliens. Yeah, the X Men never even take a beat to like acknowledge that they're fighting aliens, which they didn't yeah. know existed. Right, right. That's true. Aliens have never existed in these movies before. And to be fair, I don't think any of them realize that they are aliens except for Jean Grey. Yeah, it would have been it would have been more interesting too if they didn't want the power for themselves. If it was like. This is their god. And they're like, you're our god now. And mm-hmm. it's almost like she's like a cult leader. And that's dealing, that's forcing her to deal with the things of like, do I want to be a god? Do I yeah. want any of this? Right. And they're like, look, she's like, so what do you want me to do as your god? And they're like, well, obviously, you know, you're the phoenix. So you're going to burn this earth to the ground and then remake it for us. Uh-oh. That and seems she's cool. Like, Oh fuck! I don't want to do that, <laughs> you know. Uh, but like, instead, they just want her to like turn some other planet into a livable place, which seems like a good thing to do. Yeah, but she's Ex- too busy having you know anxiety attacks. Right, right. Yeah, not that anxiety attacks aren't a serious issue, but they aren't interesting in this context. Yeah. So she she melts Jessica Chastain. She sure does. And, Boy, does no, she. <laughs> She also dusts a bunch of these aliens. Oh, but it's like it's like generally pretty weak. Because I'm just like, it's all just CG. Yeah, well, it's just it's just like there's nothing to it. Like nothing, nothing exciting happens with her as the Phoenix. You know? Yeah. There's never any sense of, uh, you know, using I guess the word in the old fashioned sense. There's no sense of awesomeness. Right. Right. Yeah. Of like this is beyond. This is this is you know when Apocalypse died, he was like, <laughs> oh my god, I see the light now. You're the future, and yeah. this doesn't feel like this builds off of. I can't believe I'm saying this. Like the the potential right. left off from X Men Apocalypse. It's very true. Because the whole point of the end of Apocalypse is he's like, I'm a god, and then she, he's like, oh shit, no, I'm not. She is, and then d- dies with that knowledge of like he was a false god, but she what? was just. Just Emma or Jean Grey at that point. She was right. not yeah. a which god. Is, which is yeah. what Simon Kinberg's issue with the end of Apocalypse is. And rather than solve the issue, he just ignores it and, yeah. and just plugs his ears and goes, la, 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 didn't happen. Mm-hmm. A movie he like, co-wrote. No. Yeah, a movie he co-wrote. Yeah. So Jean explodes. She has this moment where she's like, I'm going to protect my family, mm-hmm. which is, that what is, this is forced and sweaty and not great. 
And there's also like the extremely overused line of like your emotions make you weak. Right. Well, I, when did that ever come up? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I wrote that down because I was like, oh, this is like that line in in like so the, the line in this movie is Jessica Chastain says, Your emotions make you weak, and she says, No, my emotions make me strong. That's the line. Those are the two lines of dialogue. And it reminded me so much of, so you've come to die for your city. No, I've come here to stop you. Um, Scott, just, uh, that's not the last time that movie is going to come up in our discussion of this. Of oh, Darkness. I know. Yeah, because we were both, Bethany and I, when we got to that scene, we were like, no, um, no, when it happened. So I'm excited to talk about You that. know, it, I'll, I'll, during, but during that moment where it's like my, emo- it may, my emotions make me strong or whatever. It made me really appreciate uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League because mm-hmm. it, it reminded me of Cyborg's arc in that movie mm-hmm. where that movie's about him grappling with his physical stuff and mental stuff and him realizing, like, no, like, the things that I thought made me broken or weird are actually my greatest strengths. And that was, like, one of the most effect- emotionally effective moments of the movie, if not the most. And just, like, the leg, the difference in leg. I know that movie had four hours, to, uh, you know. But, yeah. I, you know, yeah. making me care about a character that wasn't in that started it, it's his life in that movie, you know. Right. Right. True. And, and true. she is the star of this movie. She is the titular character. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a team movie. I have no <laughs> idea what emotions they're talking about that have made her weak at any point in this movie. Yeah. Other than because... right at the end where she doesn't want to blow up because the, her friends are close by. Like That's not yeah. like the thesis statement of the movie as as far as I understand, because again, uh, you could have made it the thesis statement by by her being like, you know, over the course like since apocalypse, they've bottled this thing down by like her being like almost robotically unemotional. Don't get right? too emotional, Jane. Like, don't get too emotional. Yeah. You know what happens when you get emotional? Like, and she's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I almost killed a bunch of kids. You're right. And then realizing that like no it's i need to like claim ownership of these things because it's part of me and i need to like i mean that's how to yeah that's what i think was so effective for all of its flaws uh with captain marvel yeah where carol's arc in that movie is like oh i'm actually like you know screw holding back Uh, let's let's see what i can do what my full potential is that that moment in captain marvel isn't great because it doesn't feel earned in the movie itself right here though it would have fucking ruled like like yeah, that yeah. like seeing her go like that and then evolve over the course of that mm-hmm. sequence where she's letting loose and evolve, evolve into, into the a phoenix giant force. phoenix and shoot down a bunch of spaceships oh my god that would have been yeah. that would have awesome but that would have yeah. taken away from the hard-hitting character study Ugh. what and- hard-hitting character study <laughs> yeah yeah Instead, she just like says, "I'm going to protect my family." Shoots up in the air and then turns into a firework. I don't know. Uh, yeah, like it, it's unfortunate. This movie seems to be chasing the the groundedness and I, I guess like sophistication of movies like Logan and the Nolan Batman trilogy, without getting a lot of the stuff that made that groundedness still exciting and engaging for you know moviegoers. Yeah, nerds and normal people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we enter into the denouement of it all. We learn that the Xavier School has been renamed 
to the ex women's school <laughs> to to yeah to we the, didn't even talk about that line by the way which, yeah, we made, oh yeah, yeah we did is, i mean the, the less said about it the better um <laughs> the uh it has been renamed to the gene gray school everybody's favorite character from these movies definitely not the one who had been with the school since the start of the school and died in this very movie <laughs> but no let's not name it after her let's name it after that girl who threw a t- temper tantrum and then turned into like uh, a firework can you imagine the assembly where Charles is like, I know we've had a rough couple of days. We're renaming <laughs> the school to the, the Jean Grey School for Gifted Youngsters. And they're just like, what? She killed Raven. She killed Principal Raven. <laughs> I know, I know. I know, but... I know. That was a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> but we all, I think we all agree that she deserves it. <laughs> Storm becomes a lightning teacher. Uh-huh. Uh, Hank becomes the new dean. Yep. Uh, I, I like to believe that Charles was fired. Hank, who had vowed to kill uh, the like Jean <laughs> yeah. Grey earlier yeah. in the movie, is like, okay, I'll teach at her her school. It's it named just, after her. It's yeah. only named the Jean Grey school because that she evolved right at the end, like right before we get that plaque. Like mm-hmm. it should be. What is Raven's last name? Darkholm. Darkholm. It should be oh. the Raven, like Raven Darkholm School for Gifted Youngsters. Absolutely. Like, maybe that's... they can call it the Jean Grey School that's like in the Darkholm Mansion. Like, yeah. you know, maybe a little bit of both. Yeah, like yeah. the Jean Grey Scholarship or the, the Jean Grey Building. <laughs> the Jean Grey Scholarship. The Jean Grey Award for um, most Academic damage caused. The, oh, yeah. the Jean Grey School for uh, Best Attendance goes yeah. to. Uh, <laughs> uh. We all live here. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, that's why you all get a Gene you Gray attendance award. Hank, pass out the certificates. The Gene Gray award for most emotions suppressed. Most emotions suppressed goes uh, to the little boy who can't sleep but can turn a TV on and off with his mind. Um, Love that and then, kid. And then we get we get VO again of Gene Gray be, talking about turning into something else, but it's not an ending. It's a new beginning, and it seems very metatextual of of uh, of of uh, sure, talking going, about yeah. how. Like, we're going into the MCU now. We'll see you all soon. <laughs> yes. It's not an ending. It's a new beginning. Do you think that if they were planning another movie after this, they would have renamed the school? I don't think so. I don't think there's a movie after this where they're like, here we are at the Jean Grey school. Yeah. 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 I think yeah, it feels like, uh, well, we're, we're shutting down anyway. We might yeah. as well do something crazy. Yeah. I mean, the Jean Grey school, that is a thing from the comics. That is a thing that they do. They rename oh, the school really? the Jean Grey okay. school after the dark, after she dies. Okay. But, but like... That doesn't mean you're supposed to do it in this movie. Like, you haven't earned that. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, then that, which kind of goes back to not just this movie, but this whole era as well yeah. of, like, introducing stuff from Genosha right. to to the Jean Grey school to all kinds of stuff. And it's like, well, you didn't build on this. You didn't earn it. So without context, that's right. also a, a big uh, – still a big problem that I have with a lot of the Zack Snyder DC movies is – the movies in themselves aren't doing the work of like this is Gotham and this is Thomas Wayne. It's just asking you to already be a fan of those yeah. things or know yeah. about those yeah. things. Very true. And then we get Charles and Eric, chess bros at a cafe. Yeah. So I was reading, I think it was Gizmodo, mm-hmm. uh, this interview with Simon Kinberg. And like the last, you know, it's always like, well, thank you for being here, Simon. Oh, thanks so much. I had a great time. You know, end of interview. It was like, um, oh, and did I catch a, a Dark Knight Rises reference there at the end? And he was like, oh, so you caught that. I'm like, yeah, you fucking caught that. 
you out of you, your mind. <laughs> you, yeah, are you out of your fucking mind? So, yeah, that is explicitly an allusion to the ending of The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, my God. That that classic ending to the Batman trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy that we all love. <laughs> the ending that everyone loves and caused no debate or hatred of that movie or... Uh, or that's or retro- <laughs> retroactively the trilogy as a whole. <laughs> so what do we? So this is the final Charles and Eric chess scene, maybe maybe ever. Yeah, it's cool how I think this is the first time that Eric has reached out to Charles. Mm-hmm. Like you need someone, you need a pal. I like that. I like the 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 full circle of that yeah I think that's good yeah but yeah yeah i mean like you know none of the none of the lines are remember you know it just seems kind of like yeah, yeah. Um, also doesn't he have a country to run yeah like is charles going to live in genosha now i don't know, I don't know. it ends know. it ends with ellipses yeah it yeah sure does. We'll, we'll find out in the next one with uh and then in the very in the deep deep distance of the sky the phoenix is just still like roaming around Woo! doesn't know how to get off of earth just like <laughs> <laughs> just vibing waiting just for vibing. another space shuttle to attack yeah. yeah. And apparently, uh, because of all of the things that they did that no one in America saw, everyone is totally cool with mutants again. Yep. And allowed them to continue running their school and not go into an internment camp. That they were in the, already in the process of building. Does the right. phone work again? Does the telephone did it get hooked up again? <laughs> Who knows? Hey, we're, we're sorry. It works again. <laughs> and so it comes, the passing of an age. Yeah. And I want to congratulate you both. Uh, we have officially talked about this movie longer than the movie itself. Hey. Yay. Under two hours, this movie. Yes. Thank God. I I think it should have been longer. I think it should have been. I don't think there's enough here. You know, I I agree, agree. with both of you simultaneously. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Scott. This movie could benefit from a little bit more, but also yeah. the stuff that is there could have been better and I don't think I would have wanted to watch this movie for much longer. Yeah, okay. Even that's if fair. the stuff that is added is worth adding. Yeah. Um, it's not worth adding to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know Scott and I are gonna do like a between episode where, you know, we'll do kind of a post op, I guess, of like closing thoughts about the era as a whole, I imagine, mm-hmm. Scott. Yes. So I guess just to close on this movie, a lot like New Mutants, it's noble intentions, arguably. I think more so for New Mutants than this. Because I don't, I don't know. Like when I get down to, I don't, I don't know if this, like, yeah, like a character study of Jean Grey. Let's go inside Jean Grey. But like, who wants that? It also doesn't function well as that. Although I will say, yes. I think I prefer this to New Mutants. Interesting. I don't but know if that, I do. I also saw New Mutants under not great circumstances. I like had like a splitting headache in a oh, no. fairly poorly projected drive-in. So I, you know, followed this one a little bit easier. But it maybe it's because of the characters I know already. But yeah. New Mutants oh. did nothing for me at all. For sure. And when I say, like, you know, who cares? I mean, like, who cares in the context of, like, cinematic Jean Grey? Because, yeah. like Scott mentioned, I'm sure with comics having years and months of, and issues and issues and stories to, like, help you, like, really connect with this character, challenging her like this would be probably be pretty compelling. But I don't think they give Sophie Turner enough to create a compelling character with just this movie. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, yep. just not enough meat on the bone. Yeah. And I think the biggest sin that this movie has is that it had the audacity to adapt the dark Phoenix storyline for the second time, which all but guarantees we may never see it adapted again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
because the MCU is smarter than that. They're smarter than like retreading stuff that has already been done before, you know. And so like we're we're gonna be lucky to ever see a proper adaptation of Dark Phoenix like ever. And if we do, it'll be at least like 15, 20 years from now. Like, oh I yeah, I mean I don't know when that. the X Men are gonna even show up in the MCU. Like maybe yeah. within the next five years. Right. Um, but I don't think they'll do a Jean Grey Dark Phoenix. They could have the Phoenix come back and work with a different mutant. That could be interesting and seem like mm, the MCU would do where it's like the bones of the storyline, but with different yeah. characters involved. Like that's knowing true. the MCU, they'll actually like, okay, who do people love? Who are people into? Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. you know, croaky. And then it's like, oh, well, what if the Dark Phoenix? Yeah. I think if you, if you figured out a way to make the dark phoenix take over mystique and that be interesting that's oh. a better character study than yeah. jean gray but she's a hero and we know she has this dark side this dark yeah. energy and this we've hate. been with her for four movies she's an actress that everyone loves right um, oh my goodness that's a but gap. also like how do you make her power that's true. you know yeah. a godlike <laughs> like, mystique, right. mystique throwing fire energy balls is kind of weird <laughs> what well, does she like start to turn into buildings instead of just people like i don't understand <laughs> i can turn into yeah items now <laughs> items. this pin is a gift but also mystique <laughs> yeah that's me uh yeah oh, well, thanks for being with us today mark no problem yeah. thanks for having me on i'm happy to talk about x-men and i'm i'm glad i finally had an excuse to complete the uh the series with this watch yeah uh, something i don't know if i would ever get around to doing and was not as painful as i was expecting no That's certainly true. not as painful as his reputation not even close um, yeah so yeah. i feel like we've really been pummeling this thing for about an hour but well it's yeah, not good like, there is but... yeah it's not good but it it's there's some <laughs> on... good i don't know on yeah. Letterboxd, they gave it three stars, but not the little like heart. Um, ah, I can't communicate why it's better than Last Stand. Maybe it isn't, but I don't. I turned on Last Stand after I watched this this morning. Wow! And and just just to kind of get some differences there. Okay. The, and the sure. difference between the two movies is that there's a lot of charisma in the Last Stand, mm-hmm. and there is very little charisma in this movie. And I think that that is is just a huge difference. I also think that the the action is better in the Last Stand, mm. and um, the Kira storyline is more interesting than okay. the you Dark Phoenix storyline in either. But that's yeah. just me. I um I think I had the Last Stand above Days of Future Past when I looked at my rankings today, which I immediately changed. I'm sorry about that. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, I I I think that the Last Stand is kind of can't be fun in a way that this is kind of boring slog. Scott mm. and I will reveal our rankings uh, next week. I'm excited next to hear week. them. Yeah, in our in-between episode. All right. Well, Mark, thanks for joining us. And thank you all for listening. Please, uh, if you haven't already, check out our our Patreon, juliangenre.com slash support for as little as uh, $5 a month. You can get access to three bonus podcasts a week uh, hosted by... Uh, Nick and I, as well as uh, a myriad of, of other dueling genre podcast hosts, um, lots of really cool stuff going on. Uh, just next week, the same day as our in between us, so so that we keep hyping, uh, we will have an episode of Franchise Potential, our Patreon sister podcast uh, that will be on our Patreon feed, um, where we're going to be talking about the 2003 Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner Daredevil film, a movie that is a f- failure and we're going to talk about why and how 
Um, and I think that's... that movie is a little bit of fun. I hate to say. <laughs> well, I don't have fond memories of it, but uh, I'll be <laughs> I'll be curious what what it feels like when I'm rewatching it later. And we're talking about the extended cut, right? Yes, we're talking oh, about the director's cut um, now with more Coolio. Mm-hmm. Are you guys going to include Electra in that at all? No, no. Good. That um, movie is uh, garbage. We said franchise yeah. potential. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it did start a franchise. To be fair, it did kick off <laughs> the true. Electra cinematic universe. Yeah, uh, right. Of course. How could I forget? <laughs> um, so, anyway, uh, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.